two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Friday. Welcome to the program. There is a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the sporting world right now. Mr. Pinder, Mr. Gordon, uh, welcome to the program. My name is Pat Steinberg. How are we doing on this lovely Friday afternoon? We're going. This is uh, it's another gorgeous day in Calgary. Um, you know, we got Flames news. We got a big day for the Stampeders in the books from yesterday that we'll have some guests based off of. And we've got a pretty decent looking weekend on top with some great news. Golf courses should be rolling. Life's good, Pat. Are you, uh, when, when will be your first time out on a golf course? I don't know. I don't want to, um, I guess, uh, let the cat out of any bag or whatever the expression is. Let the cat out of the bag. Is it, what the, what's the expression? That's, that's, what that is, that is an expression. I'll see if you use Why it. Why would a cat not? be in a bag? What's, what are we doing with cats and bags? Um, I might be really wide open in the afternoons moving forward, which would help my availability for golf. So maybe as soon as next week, I would certainly not be against that. Now, Ryan Pinder has been fired. Uh, welcome to the program. Long overdue. In fairness, like, how can we how can we let a cat out of the bag? Like, it, it's happening on Monday, so what? Like, what do we do? Like, all of a sudden, you're just not going to be on the show and on a different show for a little bit, and then, and then next thing you know, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, surprise. Um, no, nope. here I'll I'll uh, I'll get. It's not trouble. it. That's not it, though, Pat. What it what is is I was drafted by the Stampeders yesterday. I'm going to be their new kicker. And so I'm officially resigning today, and I won't be in next week. I think that's what it is. That's right? that's what it is. That so was my name they called out. Is that right? Uh, don't I don't believe so. I, I paid pretty close <laughs> attention to the CFL draft yesterday. I don't think so, but I I could have missed something. You didn't see my name. I could have okay, missed something. Well, um, maybe I'm I wondering something. what we're talking about. Um, this is uh, this is going to be Pinder's last show on the afternoons for a little while. Um, mainly because uh, he's going to move back to the morning slot for a little while. Again, a temporary measure. Um, We're kind of, to to be perfectly honest, we're in a spot right now with the situation um, as it is right now with um, resources being stretched thin and just trying to make the best available use of, of where everybody is and what everybody's doing. Uh, for the next month or two, uh, Pinder is going to join Boomer and Nalt in the morning. Um, Brent Cron will uh, no longer be with the uh, the group in the morning. Pinder will join the boys in the morning. And then uh, Peter Klein will rejoin the afternoon show with Logo and I. So it'll be Pinder and Steinberg with Pinder not part of the show. It'll be Steinberg, mm. Klein, and Logo on your afternoons. Boomer, Pinder, and Will will be your morning group just for the time being. Hmm. Please oh, turn this up, Logo. emotional, Pat. It's really emotional. Had a lot of fun. I just set up my... My Instagram live background, got my sports jerseys hanging. Now I got to wake up at stupid o'clock in the morning again. You miss you, Patty. (laughs) You're going to miss me, Pat? Are you going to miss me? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, 
your name's on the show. Like you're you're half of the show. We've been building this thing for the last uh, for the last year and a half. Of course, I'm gonna miss you. That's no knock on Kleiner. It'll be good to have Kleiner back. But you know, like it'll be uh, it'll be strange not working with you uh, for the next little bit. Um, so yeah, I, again, it's a temporary measure. We're not changing the name of the show. It'll still be Pinder and Steinberg, just with one half of um, that group not there for the time being. Uh, so that's just uh, if, if you're wondering what the hell is going on on Monday, that is what's going on. Um, and if anybody is going to get in trouble for letting the cat out of the bag, I don't know. You you raise a really good question. I don't know why the cat is in the bag. But, why are we uh, collecting if, cats in bags? That's not healthy. Well, Let the cat out of the house. Different ways Let the to dog skin out of the cat. yard. Um, Why's the cat in the bag? Rob, Rob always had all these different cat analogies. I don't know if this is actually one, but he'd always talk about swinging cats. I, I don't. I never yes. heard that one prior to Rob. But um, I couldn't had, swing a cat without running into a GM or an agent, something like that, right? Or he'd be like, "We're all just swinging cats right now." I, I never understood that one, but he had a lot of. Um, we had a lot of different. Uh, cat analogies that we got with Robbie but uh nonetheless <laughs> that has nothing to seems do with like the cat. a cat guy am I am I wrong Could have something to do with a cat am I trying to um, get milk from a goat that's a stone uh. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the milk from the goat one just because now now I'm we're gonna, gonna go down the animal that, analogies that, that one is Don't a quite must sense. if we're going to anyway I'll, I'll try and find it a little bit later on uh, a couple of texts at 960-960 to the news. Um, why? I, I think I told you why. Um, Wedley writes, Pinder, please debate Bill on Skinner again. That was a fun one. Um, you didn't like that I had a different opinion on that one. <laughs> um, Boomer is going to be so cranky. <laughs> he already is. I mean... It's not necessarily him either. It's just that shift makes you cranky. So, uh, yeah. Now, do you think cranky. it'll be any better I'll getting, be like, you don't have to get up as early. You don't have to trip to the studio I'd to hope make. not. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, we got uh, the news yesterday. Phase one will begin, what, May 14th? Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So, I don't think it would be crazy to suggest we could be in our basement systems downtown studio where Logan is today by May 14th. But maybe people prefer to work from home. Um, I'd like if to be we back have, in the studio. I, I like it too. I like to have uh, things in front of me that aren't, uh, and you know what? Like the technology we've been using is pretty cool given that it was like in a pinch, we've made it work, but it just sounds better. And it's much easier to have a conversation when there isn't like a third of a second delay and you can actually look at the other person in the face and realize when they're expanding and thinking versus finishing a thought. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I'd like to get back to the studio, but then again, we got to see how things are going. I think uh, the magic number is like, if we can get to two weeks where we stay under our peak total, I think uh, that would be a really good, uh, I guess, omen for Alberta. And we've done, I think, a considerable number of days in a row under our peak total of uh, positive cases in a day, which is 300 and I think around 15-ish. So let's, uh, yeah, I'd like to go back to the studios. That'd be cool. But that means I'm getting up earlier too. 
Yeah, but I think my 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 guess is once we're able to go back into the studio, uh, you'll be back on the show. Um, Mike wants to know. Joined in late. What's happening here? Pinder's moving to mornings temporarily. Kleiner is joining us here in afternoons. That is happening on Monday. Of course, we've known about. And this I would for expect three weeks, but we are just announcing it right now. I'm not the program director. I don't uh, make these decisions, but uh, just yeah. understanding. Uh, yeah, the uh, this is how our season goes in radio. Uh, uh, typically, when I worked on the morning show, Rhett would show up around Labor Day, and he'd usually be gone late April, early May, unless the Flames are making a deep playoff run. He'd extend it a bit, and then he'd take more time off the next year to make up for it. So if we're on a similar window, not identical, um, you know, I, I would think your former player in the morning show gang would return around Labor Day. But the whole problem is, is well, what if we have hockey in July and August? So I don't know what happens then, but I, I would suggest this is a very short-term thing, but it's uh, like we've said about all this stuff in the pandemic, predicting the future. That's not a real good business to be in these days. There's been some wild twists and turns we haven't seen coming. Yes. Agreed. Well, I hope to have you back on the show very soon. I uh, no no knock on the boys in the morning, um, but I hope to have you back on the show with your name on it. Mostly just um, a knock on Klein. I see what you're doing there. That's also cool. not a knock on Klein. Again, <laughs> been building a show with the the two people with their name on it for the last you know a year and a half like to continue that momentum and not have it uh, stalled um for all that long so uh hopefully maybe hopefully you're back in the next uh next little bit here's um welcome to the program pinder and steinberg's underway happy friday looking forward to the weekend wait a minute uh here's what we got on the show today rich what's what what did what did i say attaboy logan What day is it again, Logo? I forget. <laughs> Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Yeah. Hey. Party. Yeah. Party. Yeah. Party. Fun. Fun. Weekend. Weekend. Oh, what a song. Happy Friday, right? How's yeah, that for well, a send-off? Just a nice little cull on the brain cells before the weekend. That was probably going to happen tonight with booze anyway. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it uh, it's just uh, the what's the, what's the theory on, you know, the pack has to stay healthy. The, uh, the sick and the old will be culled and, you know, it's a survival of the fittest. The brain cells we have left after that song are the ones we wanted anyway. I feel like I have more brain cells after that song, to be perfectly <laughs> you honest would. with you. I love that song. <laughs> you do. Uh, on the program today, Rich Sutter joins us at 2.30. Oh. We had Ronnie on a couple of days ago. So I, in the middle of the interview with Ronnie, I, I messaged Ryan, I'm like, we got to get Rich on, the twins. Uh, so Rich is coming on at 2.30. Uh, top of the hour, just after 3 o'clock. Number one pick for the Calgary Stampeders in yesterday's CFL draft. Number three overall, D lineman out of southeastern Louisiana, Isaac Adeyemi Berglund will join us. Uh, Dustin Wolf, newly signed by the Calgary Flames, will join us at 3.30 this afternoon. Uh, Matty Rose is going to stop by with some stamps talk, and we'll hear from Flames general manager Brad Tree Living today 
as well. All of that coming up on the program. But there is plenty going on. Let's start with the Dustin Wolf news. Uh, we had speculated on this, and, and we had talked about it a couple oh, of days yeah. ago and uh, said that, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be a shocker if one of the next things to come down the pipe would be the signing of Wolf, and that comes down the pipe today. Those numbers in junior hockey sure. are off the charts. Like, it, Right, it is hard to have a 920 save percentage in the Western Hockey League, let alone to have back-to-back seasons of 936 and 935. Like, what we have seen from from Dustin Wolf and Everett is remarkable in junior hockey. Incredible stuff that we've seen from him. Ridiculous numbers. And we uh, were both on a conference call with the general manager today, the weekly meetup with media sort of a casual, how's everyone doing? And then he, the Mr. Trelevin would address me sort of the news that had transpired over the last week. And I asked him about, you know, like what would happen to Dustin Wolf's draft stock a year ago if he was 6'2". So the average height of an inch on that minor is somewhere between just over 6'2". He's only, you know, two inches and change under that. He's six foot on the button is how they measure him. But with those numbers at an average height, you know, the GM said he wouldn't be surprised if he was a top two round pick. So really the only knock you have on him is nothing to do with the results of the games he plays in. It's the result of what a tape measure tells you. That's the only thing people can really knock him for. The, the results that you can measure on a, on a sheet of ice and what he's done in the Western hockey league, everything that has uh, everything that has transpired on the ice would suggest that Dustin Wolf would have been uh, far higher than a seventh round pick in 2019. But you're right. Six foot 165 is what he's listed at. And here's a little bit more. You asked him that question today. Here's a little bit more uh, from Brad True Living today and, and talking about, yeah, okay, maybe um, they were able to get him in the seventh round and he slid because of his size, but that doesn't mean they don't love the attributes this guy brings to the table. We looked at Dustin and said, okay, again, what's the best, what's the best player on the board? And we felt his athleticism and his competitiveness were elite. They're elite qualities. And so when you're getting into the seventh round, you're not finding the perfect player, but you got to find an elite quality. So I, you always step back. What's going to make him? A, what's going to get him to the league? And and it might not be a size. It might not. But it, he's got an elite quality. He's got two elite qualities: athleticism and competitiveness. And so those are the things that you fall back on. Now, if he's six foot two, and with the 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 characteristics he had, I think you're talking about a top two round pick in my mind. Um, so he's a little bit shorter. Again, we'll see how it all plays out. Puck seems to hit him so far. It's a big step up from the Western League to pro hockey. I think I think the kid, the kids can either make it or die trying. And those are the kind of guys you want to have. I just think that what's really interesting about this whole thing is that you know when you take um, when you take a look at what Dustin Wolf's been able to do and, and relative to where they got him in last year's seventh round of the NHL draft. Well, that that's impressive, but you know, it's it's a theme that we talked a little bit about. I think it was a week ago when we had Conroy yep. on. Last yep. Friday, Conroy joined us, and one of the questions you asked him near the end was just um, what he's proudest of since taking over as as part of this management group and and as part of Brad's management trio. Or now, I guess there's there's the four AG, the three AGMs with with Chris Snow being uh, part of it, along with Brad Pasco and Craig Conroy. And, and Connie basically said that you know just what they've been able to do draft wise and and some of the guys they've been able to get and some of those late round guys. That they've been able to turn into 
bonafide NHLers, and it, it, it's turned into a theme. Like, this this team has done well when they've got their first-round picks, you know, first-round picks like Matthew Kachuk and Yusuf Alamaki and Jacob Pelche in the last half decade look like they're all, we already know one is a bonafide NHLer, and um, the other guy save for injuries probably would be a bonafide NHL or two and Pelche looks like he's going to play so first round they've done well they've gotten players like Anderson and Dubé and Shillington who are all NHLers right now in round number two and then they've also nailed these things in in round five and six and seven they like their whole philosophy and 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 Todd Button Every year I'm at the draft emphasizes this. Conroy and, and Tree and, and the rest of this management group, anytime you talk to them about draft, they, they, they emphasize how every pick they treat like it's their first pick. And they put as much effort into deciding and scouting on their seventh pick as they did their first pick. And I'm not saying that's any different than any other team in the league because I don't know. All I know is that under Brad Living and under this management group and, and that – when they started in 2014 like this team's drafting has been really really strong and their development has been really really strong and and it just continues to be a a very promising trend no question when you look at manjapani what phillips has done from the sixth round they like tulola who's uh gonna play another year in the american league here uh you know zav garodny's been a sensational producer of points given he was taken 198th wolf in the seventh round i mean emilio Pettersson just signed a a star for a big program college team they've they have done way better than you should be able to do picking that late and i think the, the the draft class that probably emphasizes that the best is 2018 when they didn't pick till the fourth round they had three fourth rounders a sixth and a seventh and they might end up with uh, two or three players that get to the NHL. And you're talking about uh, very, very low probability of picks playing out to, to becoming impactful players when you get into the fourth round. Uh, never mind. Like you said the other day, if you can get two decent NHL players in a draft class, it's going to be a good draft class for you. Imagine if you get two or three in a year where you didn't pick in the first three rounds or the first essentially 100 picks mm-hmm. of the draft. Yeah, it's it's – you know, and there's there have been certain times, like, I'm not saying that, you know, you don't deserve credit by getting a player late in the draft. Like, I, I always think that there's merit to being able to find a guy. We talked a little bit about this when we were redrafting, for instance, uh, 98 and, and 99 with Zetterberg and, and Datsuk and how the Red Wings got those guys. But, you know, when when you don't hit on your first-round picks and then you're finding guys in the late round, and I'm not saying the Red Wings were like this because they they were a hard team to uh, evaluate because they never had first-round picks. But when you find a guy in the late rounds and you're also hitting in the early rounds, to me, that just speaks to, yeah, there's probably a little luck still involved, but it speaks to, yeah, you're doing a good job at this. When you get a, a couple guys over the years in the sixth or seventh round that turn into NHLers, but you're not hitting on a regular basis on your first and second round picks, well, then I, I tend to chalk that up more a little bit to luck because if you're not hitting on your first round picks and you're hitting on your fifth and sixth round picks, well, then why aren't these guys going higher? I, I give the Flames a lot of credit, I, I, and, and this has not been an area that historically has been strong for them, but over the last half decade, if you go back to 
what would it be, the 2015 draft is where it started. That, that was really the first draft where Brad Trilliv yep. and, and his management group had full control. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, the last five drafts, you go and take a look at those and compare them to the 15 drafts prior to that, and you'll see a significant difference and a, and a significant yep. difference in a good way. Yeah, and, and uh, just a philosophical differences as well like 14 i believe Trilliving had arrived but burke was still running the draft because it was so he'd been there for i think less than six weeks he'd been there uh when they went to the 14 draft and so to see them go with like hunter smith at 54 that feels like a very brian burke would brad Trilliving wouldn't pick and that's me generalizing you know austin carroll an overage guy that's big that's already gone through the draft a couple times not that he wasn't a decent pro, but not an NHLer, obviously. I, I mean, that 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 philosophy of the type of player they picked late, prior to Trilliving getting his paws on things, it's really changed. Like they're they're chasing market inefficiencies now, which is, you know, size still pushes guys down the board further than they should go. And teams that aren't afraid of drafting smaller players are going to get better value in later rounds. And that's what they've proven to do. They've really prioritized skill. They've not worried about how much a guy weighs how much water he displaces and as the gm talked about and you heard in the conference call they certainly really really like uh, chasing competitiveness uh so I, I give them a ton of credit they've been able to do what most teams haven't been able to do which is to turn late picks into players at least it looks like that's what's happening because again you probably need more than five years to really judge a draft class and we've only got what one draft class that's five years in for true living but if you look at the early returns in terms of okay who's signing what kind of production are they getting as they move into the pro ranks like a guy like matthew phillips is a perfect example like he went so late because he's tiny not because he wasn't torching the league he was playing and he was and it's like oh he's too mm-hmm. small well guess what that's what they said about theo Fleury. that's what they said about andrew magipani who they took a year prior in the exact same slot 166 now they're not the same players but you could just see how you could build a case that GMs even today with all the data and info and scouting that we have uh, size is still a bit of a market inefficiency that they can exploit. And he said exactly that today when talking about what Dustin Wolf would look like if he was two inches taller with the exact same stats, he's probably going five rounds earlier or something like that. Yeah. Dustin Wolf will join us by the way at three 30 this afternoon on the program couple of other notes uh logo if you go into the sports folder in burley um there's a couple of clips there and if you go grab uh, chris johnston one uh want to play this because they're, they're just every day it seems like there's another piece of news or another slight piece of information or update on how the nhl might be able to return to play here's uh here's chris johnston who joins us tuesdays and thursdays here's his hit on sports that 590 the fan in toronto today um and and talked about the league and the players association working together to try and come back if you know the nhl and nhlpa in business terms for the last 30 years you've really only known them to be pitted against each other owners versus players but you know, what I've found overwhelmingly in my discussions during this is that, you know, these two sides truly recognize that they, they're in this together, that they have to find solutions together. And I think they're still focused largely on, you know, finding a way to make this this centralized city concept work. Now, 
today, uh, Ryan Rashog at TSN had the story that um, cities are now submitting proposals to the NHL or submitting information to the NHL about feasibility for their city to be able to be one of these hub cities. I know Larry Brooks also had a story in the New York Post about how the NHL might be looking at, at just holding games in home cities. But what, whatever the case may be, it sure does feel like, Ryan, like there is more and more momentum for this thing starting. Uh, CJ's opinion is that this hub city thing is is probably the um, the scenario that is, is getting the most legs and probably the one that is uh, likely to go forward if they're able to go forward. So when you have that mixed with Rashog's report at TSN, um, it, it, it sure does feel like we're talking about uh, steps being taken and moving closer to the league trying to do this thing. Yeah, well, as, as there has to be. I mean, there's how much runway left. If you have promised or prioritized an 82-game season for the 2021 season, which they have, you only got so much time to get this done. So with each passing week, you've got one less week to have a plan and to have, uh, you know, the scenarios unfolding. So I would expect next week we're – We've even got more information of what things could look like. And until this thing doesn't happen, of course, we're going to be closer each, each passing week. Right. But, but the other side of that is, you know, we heard about neutral sites about three, four weeks ago. We heard about a hub that's an NHL market a week or two ago. And now today we're hearing maybe teams in their own buildings. And so I don't know that we're moving towards more consensus on something so much as, with time running out, they really have to be considering all kinds of things. And I don't really think they are committing to one way of doing things moving forward because they well, need to be flexible can. given how the news exactly. is changing. Exactly. You have to be flexible. And if, if something happens that allows you to have a better case scenario than what you had originally planned, well, yeah, you want to be flexible to be able to, be able to do that. If, if things progress positively, well, then, yeah, you want to be flexible so that you can adjust so that things are also positive for you. And at the same point, same time, you also want to make sure that if, if things don't progress as positively as you'd hope, that you still have contingency plans there. What I find really interesting, here's um, it's uh, number four on the, the clip list there for CJ Logo. Um, here's what I find really interesting, and this has only started in the last week or so that you've started to hear this. You talk about the runway. Well, the the conversation now is that um, at first it was, well, the league will try to start in October, then it was November. Well, now it sounds like December is when the league is thinking about starting next season. Here's Sportsnet's Chris Johnston again. What the league's looking at is a December start with a July finish in, in 2021, and certainly that finish, you know, the, the biggest determinant of that date will be being sure it's well clear of the Tokyo Olympics so that NBC – uh, the league's main TV partner in the U.S. You know doesn't have any conflicts with, with what it's planning uh, for the Olympics, which started, I guess, in, in the latter part of July next year. I I'm fascinated by that. Like the conversation of them starting the league in December and ending in July. That's that's also a, a really fascinating kind of footnote or or side story to the conversation about them trying to finish the season this year. So that's that. You think about that, right? Because you think about, okay, if all goes according to plan and, and say that they do play this year and they do finish sometime this summer and then they do start in December of next year, 
Well, that means a pandemic, this COVID-19 pandemic, will have affected three NHL seasons, the one that we're still in right now, next season, obviously. And you'd have to imagine that the following season, with a July finish to uh, next year, you think the following season would have to have some sort of impact um, on that scheduling. That's, that's three seasons, or the, at the very least two, potentially yeah. three seasons that this thing would affect. I'll give you two seasons for sure. Um, if you like, I, I know it sounds late, like, oh, they'll be playing into July, but like they did that in the lockout. What was it, 13 14 season? And maybe it wasn't 13 14. I'm, I'm off by a year. 12 13, whatever. 12 13. Did um, they play into the lockout in July that year? <clears throat> I believe they did. And so did they have to delay the start? I mean, it, it compresses schedules, no question. And if they are going to play in the winter Olympics in the winter of 22, that adds another layer of compression that was already going to have to be built in. So maybe it will affect three seasons. June 24th, but, uh, by the way, is when they finished in the lockout season. Yeah. So, okay. So know, they seven were days away days from off, July. Seven days yeah. off. So, and, and I really don't think that that's much different, the seven days than what's really changed is that I think a couple of weeks ago, if you said they'd start in the last week of November, you'd say, yeah, that sounds like, reasonable and things they've been talking about and that makes sense given the time frame they've got and that they want to finish the regular season before they start a, a regular playoffs as much as we talked early on about these radical playoff formats it sounds like here we are down the road and the priority is not a radical new looking playoff format but something that feels appropriate in giving away the stanley cup which is the one we've known mm-hmm. um, you know the current one is what they'd like to do it seems and that would make sense um, but I, you know, I, I think moving the start of the season into early November from late, early December, excuse me, from late November, like that, that might only be an adjustment of, you know, five to 12 days. Right. So it's not radical. And we've seen even just the start date of the league in seasons that aren't affected by any sort of labor start, starts, uh, stoppage or pandemics that have varied from, you know, one of the first couple of days of October versus, you know, into double digits days in October. And we are, we're already seeing, I guess what I'm trying to say is probably like five to 10 days of wiggle room anyway, when there's nothing moving the schedule, right? Just with, I'm just curious as to how far into July they'd go. They've never played July hockey before. So I'm just curious to see how far into that. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's, fair. The whole thing is fascinating, but as we've said many times, it's also one of the fastest moving stories that we've ever seen. So it could be different on Monday when we reconvene this show. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, Rich Sutter, the other half of the Sutter Twins. We had Ronnie on Wednesday. Let's catch up with Rich around the corner. Rich Sutter's next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, welcome back. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a Friday, 234. Gorgeous day. As uh, we await the opening of golf season, Patty, and uh, it appears we're going to have some sports sooner or later. You were talking about NASCAR yesterday. We'll have actual golf tournaments on. There's tennis going on. Uh, we, we await hockey, but it does feel like uh, things are getting closer. In fact, uh, players getting on the ice in the States right away here. Uh, this is the, an exciting weekend, I'd expect, around the city, Patty. Yeah, and it just it just kind of feels like as, as, as much as – I think that we're all um, we're all kind of of the aware that uh, of the um, I, I think we're all under the impression we all know we're all aware that 
you know, life isn't going to be back to normal right away. Um, but it's a step towards life being more like what it used to be. And, and that's exciting. Like it, it's even even if we didn't get the news yesterday about the the province starting to take gradual steps to opening up um, the news about NASCAR, the news about golf, the news about leagues trying to start things up. Like, for instance, today, Major League Soccer is uh, announcing plans for players to be able to get back to uh, their training facilities. Uh, English Premier League across the pond is uh, talking with the U.K. government about being able to restart. Like, it just it feels like things are starting to take a step forward. We're not there yet. Like, and, and I don't think anybody ever expected us to snap our fingers and be back to normal, but at the very least it's a small step, and, and the small steps that we can take, eventually we're going to get there. So it's it's nice to have some a little bit of forward momentum, I won't lie. Uh, what was your reaction to the Stampeders draft yesterday? We talked about a, a number of scenarios yesterday, but the one we really didn't elaborate on, and I, I regret not asking you, was what about the D-end from southeastern Louisiana that we'd seen some reports that the Stamps were, were sniffing around? And, and would the Stamps be open to trading down and collecting more assets or at least improving assets later in the draft? That ended up being what they did. Yeah, and when we had Justin Dunk on on Wednesday, he, he kind of said there's, there's two there's two tight maybe two prongs or two ways the stamps could approach this thing. They could go and get the BPA, the best player available in Jordan Williams at number one. And he's the most CFL ready guy. He's the guy that is most able to jump right in right away and be able to, uh, to be able to play right now. Um, So there is that, or there was the idea of trading down a pick or two and being able to get the guy they want, which the, the only other guy that would have been in that conversation would have been the guy they chose from southeastern Louisiana, Isaac Adeyemi Berglund, uh, who's a really interesting story in that you take a look at his frame, like he has the build of a linebacker in a lot of ways, but is is projected to be a defensive end in the CFL and and you know it's six foot two 250 pounds like that's not your prototypical NFL defensive end but in the CFL you can be a little smaller in the the size department and still be an effective pass rusher so I'm curious to see what he projects to at the CFL level how how often can he um, drop back into coverage and do those types of things off the edge and you know is he similar type of um, similar type of profile and athleticism to a guy like Willie Jefferson. Willie Jefferson looks like a linebacker. You just take a look at that guy on the street, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy looks like a linebacker. But then he, he's the most devastating defensive end in the CFL. And and that's the one of the big differences from league to league. So I, I'm curious because th- this guy they drafted in, at number three overall, very similar profile and also plays defensive end. I'm, I'm curious to see how he projects the next level. And I think we've lost Rye temporarily. Uh, we are trying to uh, hook up oh, here with Rich here Sutter. Okay. Um, oh, Rye's here. Uh, we are trying to hook up with Rich Sutter, but uh, having a little bit of difficulty reaching him. Seems like the 2.30 slot of late has been difficult to uh, nail down our guest. It's cursed, Pat. Um, um, it must be a cursed time slot. That's what. That's the only explanation. You mentioned the, the smaller stature, and I mean, I think that's interesting, but it, it probably gets overblown. Like, they took a D lineman and in the sixth round, that's only six foot, but he's 285. And, you know, as you've alluded to, there's, there's some very, very dominant players that don't wow you with their height. Even in the NFL on the D line, you think about, 
how disruptive that Rams defensive end that's probably, you know, one of the best defensive players in football can be taking double teams on every game and like just looks like a normal sized human, at least height wise, not certainly in weight, but talk about Aaron Aaron Donald. Thank you. The the name was eluding me for some reason, but yeah, like it's, I think it's easy to fall in love with, with the frame, but you got to remember these are athletes. What can they do on the field? How can they disrupt an O line? How can they get to the quarterback? A lot of that has to do with athleticism and smarts, not how much you weigh. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And then as a result of that trade, Patty, they get a higher pick in round two. They only move up, I believe, three slots, but they one of a few Canadian wide receivers they picked up on the day from BC. Yeah, they uh, so they they went from um, they went from one to three in the first round, and then dropped or or moved up rather from 15 to 12 in the second round uh and then they went out and got uh ubc wide receiver travel pinto was their second pick uh in fact their their next two picks were both uh receivers rice and john's an interesting one uh he comes also from the bc area and the vancouver area he played at simon fraser but the interesting thing about uh rice is that he's one of the players that has signed in the nfl he didn't get drafted in the nfl Ooh. but rice and john uh signed with the new york giants following the nfl draft as a priority free agent so he would have been a surefire first round pick top 10 pick but because he's got nfl looks he dropped out of the first two rounds and ended up going in the uh in the third round so that's uh that, that's also an interesting side note on this and then i really you know bc's pick of jordan williams i like because that to me is the most pro ready of all the players in this draft um but the the most intriguing pick outside of Calgary's picks is BC's second pick in Nathan Rourke, who didn't go in mm-hmm. the first round, but still one of the, I, I believe, in the second round at 15 overall. I believe it's the highest quarterback to ever go in the CFL draft. Um, and for Ohio University's Rourke, he steps into a situation where he doesn't have to be the guy right away. He gets to understudy under one of the greatest of this generation and Mike Riley in BC. And then in a few years, he'll be able to potentially step in and be a starting quarterback and a Canadian yep. starting quarterback. And, and again, Doug talked about that on Wednesday. Going to a spot where there's a little insulation would be important for a guy like Rourke, and sure. that's exactly where he goes as he ends up with the BC Lions. One other note, Carter O'Donnell, who was considered perhaps the best player available, but one that also had a contract in the NFL um at least undrafted but a contract he ends up going to the third round 22 overall to montreal that was another name that we'd heard bandied about a bit and we wanted to see how far that contract would see him slide down the board so those are the notes from the cfl draft patty i've got a text from richie setter he's ready to join us on the other side so we'll take a break here and come back and do that it's pinder and steinberg rich setter is coming up next sportsnet 960 the fan Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, our next guest is a veteran of 874 NHL games. He's also a pro scout for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but never mind all that nonsense. The real fun stuff is he is one of the Sutter twins and one of the even more populous Sutter brothers. Rich Sutter is with us. Richie, how are you, man? Good. How are you doing, Ryan? We are well. Patty's in his condo downtown. I'm looking over the Hi, backyard. Rich. We finally got some Hello, weather. Pat. Where Good. are you? Paint us a picture. How are things going? Paint the picture. I'm sitting on my deck uh, overlook, 
Yakima Valley and Lethbridge. Uh, nothing but coyotes and deer and horses and wild, crazy things behind me. Um, yeah, it's nice. We live in a great area overlooking the valley, and uh, uh, it's awesome. Uh, the weather's not great, but uh, it's kind of a strange day. It feels like it's going to rain, but it doesn't want to, so. <laughs> well, we had your brother on, uh, I guess, what was it, two days ago? We had a blast with uh, Ronnie, your twin. We had a little fun. Uh, I figure I'd uh, reframe a couple of the questions for you. If there was a quarantine draft for your brothers, who are you taking number one overall to partner up with to be stuck in the same confines as for an extended amount of time? Who would I take? Yeah. Not not one of them. <laughs> you go solo. <laughs> Could I go solo? As long as I, I had guess. a box I'm of wine, as long as I had a box of wine, somehow delivered once a week, I'd be just fine. I love it. I love it. What was it like growing up? I, Ronnie talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, but you, you're basically, I don't know how much pressure there was that you guys uh, felt from outside the family, but you know, just being a Sutter boy, you, you, you have to come up through the ranks and be a good player and get to the NHL. Was that internal pressure you felt or, or was it just something that everyone did and it wasn't that big of a deal to, to get to the NHL or be drafted in the top 10 in 82? You know, honestly, Ronnie, it would be the latter. Um, I don't know what Ronnie would have or how he would have answered that, but, you know, we, we all just, we love sports. Uh, we loved, uh, we were busy in the summer times. It was, it was baseball, baseball, fastball, whatever. Um, and as, as, as Brian and Daryl kind of got in, integrated and, and started in the NHL, I mean, it wasn't like we're going, well, this is what we're going to do. It just kind of, it happened and, you know, we we all wanted to follow their in their paths, and um, but obviously carve out our own, uh, which I think we all did um, quite quite well. The biggest thing is, you know, we just kind of we all had success coming out of in, going into junior, uh, played on good minor hockey teams back home, um, all had good years in Red Deer before moving on to Lethbridge, and and uh, you know, and, and st- everything just kind of evolved, but. Uh, one summer ago, okay, be damned if they're going to do it. We're going to make sure we're going to do it too, especially as younger ones. Um, it just kind of seemed to happen. Just kind of, this is what it is. This is what we're going to do, and uh, let's just go do it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think we'd say probably the vast majority of the the people listening to this radio station, their dream would have been, you know, when you were six to twelve years old. You know, I want to go play in the NHL, but it's probably less of a dream and, and more of something that can, well, why not a reality if you've watched pretty much almost all of your older brothers do it. Right. You know, and, and the funny things were, you know, I, I don't think you, if you had to do it all over again, and had to choose all over again, there's probably one other thing I would have wanted to do. And, and uh, uh, it was also a pro sport, but the biggest thing is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very fortunate people. Um, we live in a in a in a in a, a community with hockey that uh, I mean the world community whatever you want to call it, but we're in a bit of a bubble that uh, it's global but it's a very tight knit community and, and uh, there's tremendous people everywhere you go you know I think I've honestly can tell you I've been to pretty much every hockey country in the world uh, a number of times 
And it's kind of funny because everywhere you go, you know someone. Um, or, you know, if you need help, you can always reach out to someone. And that's a pretty cool thing to have that still, um, those relationships uh, when you're not playing anymore. Rich Setter joining us, uh, Pro Scout for the Columbus Blue Jackets, one of the twins and one of the brothers, of course. Uh, take me back to 1982. You and Ronnie, both very highly touted prospects. You both go in the top 10. What was that experience like? And uh, how did you take it in? Because Ronnie was saying on Wednesday, it was just starting to become a bit of a big deal. Clearly not the, the Friday primetime on TV that it is now, but it was players were starting to go to the draft that hadn't prior. You know, you know, I remember so much of it like it was yesterday, to tell you the truth, uh, Ryan and Pat, is because uh, it was the first real draft where they kind of went public form with it, and no pun intended, but it was in the Montreal form. And uh, we were coming off a, a good season in Lethbridge, both Ryan and I, with, with which ended up being that year and the following year, a tremendous group of players and a tremendous team. Uh, but just it was it was uh, it was just it, I mean it was big then for for us, but it was nowhere near what it is now for sure. Um, it was just it was a real cool thing. But the thing I remember so much about it was it was a hot, sticky, muggy day in Montreal. It was a Saturday. Uh, but the biggest thing I remember is, is uh, leading into the draft, uh, the Flames had brought me up to Calgary twice uh, to sit down with them, and it was it was it was it was Cliff Fletcher was uh, was involved in that. Obviously, he was a GM at the time. Uh, Al McNeil. Um, there was a there was a, some other guys around as well. But the biggest thing I I felt all along, and they ended up even the week early in the draft coming up and doing a physical or a medical for them. Uh, they were picking tenth, I believe, or ninth. Um, I think it was actually ninth because I was picked tenth. But the deal was, I thought I was without a doubt going to the Flames. And um, back then, as they do now, you have you have when your pick comes up, you have an opportunity to you know call a timeout. You have X amount of timeouts throughout the draft, whether it's thirty second timeouts or a minute or two, whatever they are now. Um, but the Flames called the timeout. And I never really thought anything about it. And then they called another timeout. So I'm going, oh, my God, I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not getting drafted by the Flames. And uh, they end up pulling the trigger on a deal for Don Edwards, uh, goalie out of Buffalo. And uh, obviously there was a swap of picks. Um, Buffalo ended up taking Paul Sear out of Victoria. Uh, Pittsburgh picked next and selected me. Um, <laughs> it was it was a it was a kick in the you know at the time because you thought that you know I always thought like well wow, I have an opportunity to play right at home in Alberta, uh, literally um, in our backyard um, for a team that I'd been following for you know only just a few you know, maybe two or three years prior because after they moved from Atlanta so it was really it was kind of a disappointing um, thing at the time, um, and that's that's when I guess that's when I always remember about that draft is, is the opportunity I thought I was going to be drafted by the Flames and Donnie Edwards was in the deal that that nixed it. Hmm. Crazy. <laughs> We're chatting with uh, Richie Sutter here on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Richie, but I gotta 
I got to wonder, like, okay, so you don't end up going to the Flames, and, and you go number 10 to uh, – you go number 10 instead, and then you barely play with the team that, that drafted you. You stay in the same state, but all of a sudden, like, what, a year and a half later, you get traded from Pittsburgh to Philly, and now you're playing with Ronnie again. Like, it's as, it's as if the NHL knew that you guys needed to be on the same team. You, you were the first Sedin twins. Well, it was really weird because that draft day in Montreal, before the draft was even over with, Pittsburgh had called Philly wanting to say, well, would you be interested in making a deal for Ronnie? And Philly goes, no, we'd be more interested in making a deal for for, for me. Um, so when, by the time we left Montreal that weekend, we already knew that, you know, you know, is this ever going to happen? It's not that, you know, we were prepared to move on and play without each other, I think, um, we needed that, quite honestly, to, to be more independent, um, more so as people than even just as players. But mm-hmm. uh, I think the biggest thing, too, is that, you know, it would have been a wise thing to think that, that we could play together, we'd do well together. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're not the, the level of the Sedins that Henrik and uh, Daniel are at or we're at in their careers, but the bottom line is uh, it, it happened. Uh, it happened a year or so later. So it was a little bit crazy um, how things transpired. Uh, ended up having three years together in Philadelphia. And then uh, I was traded after the Santa Cup Finals. I think it was I think it was barely four days after we got after the season was over and I was just getting back to Lethbridge and I was only in Lethbridge for I'll tell you it was minutes, not hours or days. It was minutes my phone rang and um Bobby Clark was still PO'd about uh, losing to to the Oilers four days earlier and made the deal um, for J.J. Daniel with me and because uh, he felt that Mark Howe was done and he was still mad at the world, mad, mad at all of us because we lost Edmonton. And uh, uh, he thought Mark Howe was sounding to be the heir apparent to Mark Howe and, and um, obviously that didn't go over very well with Howie. What he spent another ten years in the NHL, so that was uh, <laughs> that was how that transpired after spending three years in Philly with Ronnie. Well, so you you played with Ronnie in in St. Louis. You played with Ronnie in Philly. What were so? What other NHL um, connections did you have with the brothers? Like Ronnie played for Daryl and for Brian when they were coaching. What about you? What other run-ins with the boys did you have? In Actually, the I, I played for Daryl and Brian uh, in St. Louis and Chicago. Okay. Yeah, not Ronnie had Brian in St. Louis. Um, yeah, but you know, so that that was the connections there, and then, and I was really lucky because I got to play with Brent. Um, hadn't played with Brent since uh, uh, when Brent was a seventeen-year-old, and, and part of his he played till Christmas was his second year uh, in Lethbridge, and um, yeah, so I got to play with Brent at the back end of our career, so it was really great. Tell us about playing for your brothers as coaches. Like, what's how how different is that than playing? You know, you, here you are playing with Ronnie on a team, but now you're having to follow orders from from one of your brothers. What was that like? Well, you know, the biggest thing is we've been around the game long enough, all of us, understanding how it works. Um, when you go to the rink, you're not a player. And that's how it always was. There was never, there was never a problem with that. I know there was always people that looked probably sideways, especially you had to kind of prove it some things to your, 
teammates uh, at times. Um, but I think that was just the people that were more insecure about their own jobs and how they were running, going about their things. And the biggest thing, it was never a problem. Uh, I think the hardest thing, the hardest more thing is, was it was harder on our wives. It was harder on our families. I, I can tell you for sure with the experience going to St. Louis was, uh, the first time playing for one of them was, was um, you know, you couldn't just go see their kids. You couldn't just, you know, they couldn't just, you know, we had to set up dates to drop the kids off to see each other and things like that. And uh, and so you kind of, you kept your distance. I mean, hell, I don't think we even spent Christmas time, Christmas days together in St. Louis with Brian's, to tell you the truth. So um, that's just kind of how it was um, and how we operated and how we, held ourselves accountable to, to our, to our teammates and how things went. Rich Sutter with us, uh, pro scout for the Columbus blue jackets. Uh, tell me about your, that, exactly that, how the pandemic has affected what usual business would be uh, a pro scout right now. Well, you know, I think every team does things differently. Uh, I know I'll talk to some people around the league and, you know, you, you guys you played against or with over the years and they're working on other teams um you know all teams have different plans of attack and how they go about preparing whatever's up next or whether they feel there's going to be a draft or there's going to be you know a season there's always something going on they need to prepare for i'm a firm believer in our organization um coming in was always be prepared what's happening in 30 days, what's happening in 60 days, what's happening in 90 days moving forward, but what can we do to make sure that when those dates strike that we've got things in place that need to be done. And for ourselves, uh, it's been it's been great. Uh, the team's been great at managing to find ways to keep us busy. I, I know up right up till yesterday, we were even doing comp, doing another two-hour conference call again yesterday, going through a number of things, and we'll continue to do that for the next four weeks. Uh, and see where things go. Um, there's responsibilities you know, that that have to be taken care of. You got free agency coming up. You got uh, we're, we're in a unique situation, I think, with our group. To be honest with you guys, is that uh, we had a strange year. We had a lot of injuries. Uh, we went through a lot of hockey players, and uh, honestly, there were nights where the team was concerned about whether or not we'd be able to have enough players to put in the lineup. To, you know, to, put, to to make a legitimate roster for the game that night, and that happened at least three or four times. And but I think the biggest things we found out was that we found out a lot about our people, about our players, uh, what we had that we didn't know, and what we thought we had in terms of. Um, the depth in our organization, what we had moving forward into this next season or the rest of this season, uh, because of all the injuries we had to such important people. Uh, and I think it showed us that, you know, we have a lot of value and in, in, in a lot of players in our organization that that we know that there are other teams around the league that have, have uh, got their attention. And I think it'll bode well for us moving forward in terms of we are planning and, and what we're hoping we can achieve moving forward with our group. So um, lots of things in play. And of course, with the way things are now, uh, we're just kind of sitting there waiting to see where things go. Rich, always great catching up. Love seeing you around the dome, whether that's 
with your TV work, scouting, whatever the case may be. Stay safe down in Lethbridge. We'll send you some sunshine. And, hey, it's Friday at 3 o'clock. I think you're probably allowed uh, one of those weed ales right about now, no? Uh, you're probably a couple behind. <laughs> Attaboy, Rich. What a beauty. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Richie. Okay, guys, take care. Uh, we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. What a beauty. <laughs> Rich Sutter there from Lethbridge. We'll come back, Patty, with uh, some CFL conversation appropriate the day after the CFL draft. Number three overall in yesterday's CFL draft, New Calgary Stampeder Isaac Adeyemi Berglund joins us next on the program. It's Pinder and Steinberg at Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary Stampeders make their first selection of last night's CFL draft at number three overall. They go to southeastern Louisiana for defensive lineman Isaac Adeyemi Berglund, who joins us on the program this afternoon, the number three overall selection in yesterday's CFL draft. Isaac, thanks for doing this. How's it, uh, how's it feel a day after being the number three overall pick? feels good, man, but it feels better being a Calgary Stampeder and being a part of the organization. Well, that's good. What what was yesterday like? Take me through how you took in the draft and, and how it all went yesterday and leading up to being the number three pick. Yeah, so, you know, it started off, uh, you know, you wake up and um, as a prospect, man, you realize your dreams are about to come true that night. It's an amazing feeling, but uh, you spent a lot of time with my family that day. Um, we got together and we watched it um, here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We watched the draft, and it was kind of a little nerve-wracking, you know, with the with the trades and uh, you not knowing where you're gonna go, and you know, talking to your agent and you know, back, the back and forth. But uh, you know, I was really relieved and uh, excited um, when the Stampeders chose to put their trust in me um, with taking me with that third pick. Were you, like, did you have a pretty good idea the Stampeders were pretty interested? Like, had you had a lot of talks with them going into yesterday? Uh, I, I, I hope so. I feel like I felt the most comfortable with Calgary. Um, they were the first team to reach out to me, um, you know, way before this process had even started. And, uh, you know, we I built a, a lot of great relationships with the coaching, with the coaching staff and, you know, the organization and, and people around. So uh, I felt really good about um you know going to calgary and i'm just so thankful that it worked out so you're uh you're a halifax dartmouth guy uh you're a nova scotia boy what 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 do you know about western canada what do you know about calgary yeah um so from the east coast it's, it's been great growing up here a lot of good values uh, instilling me from from being in the maritimes and um you know it's it hasn't been it's never been a problem for me to move away from home as you know i went to southeastern louisiana in the snap and I was down there, and I experienced the South, um, and that was great. And moving to the West, uh, I was actually, before I went to southeastern Louisiana, I was going to commit to either UBC or Guelph or UC. Uh, and I was on visits to uh, to Calgary, and I actually have good friends that go to school out there and have played at the University of Calgary, and I know some coaches. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had a – I've had my runners in Calgary, and uh, I really, I really like the community, and I'm excited to get more involved and, and kind of find my fit in the community. 
Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because because your your story is fascinating. We're talking to Stampeders defensive lineman, number three overall pick from last night's CFL draft, Isaac Adeyemi Berglund. He's on the program right now with us. So. First of all, your your story is interesting. You talk about uh, you were looking at going to some schools in Canada before you decided to go down to southeastern Louisiana. But let's let's go back to where it started, and that was on the East Coast. That was in in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. What's what's football culture like uh, in the Maritimes? Tell us about growing up and playing ball in Nova Scotia. Yeah, well, I mean it's a. Uh... We don't have a lot of people at our games. You know, we don't, not every school has turf or, or fields. Uh, so growing up in Nova Scotia was kind of hard because we all, we all played at like the same field and, you know, there's 20 people in the stands. But, you know, we had a lot of good players here, a lot of good people. And I feel like if they would have had the opportunity, the opportunities that, you know, I was, you know, I created, I guess, for myself and uh, they would be uh, really successful football players. But it's, uh, you know, we have a lot of heart out here. Um, in Nova Scotia, I would say, uh, when it comes to any sport or it comes to anything in the community, we have a we have a great community, and and yeah, man, it's uh, it's been it's been amazing growing up here in Nova Scotia. Now you so you play high school ball out there, and you know you've got some you've got some schools on you know in and around you and and in the general proximity, but coming out of high school. Not a ton of not a ton of scholarship bites, eh? Like it just it, it was it was strange to see how how talented and, and what you turned into uh, following that. But any any ideas to why the scholarship offers weren't there right when they could have been at the beginning? Um, no, it's kind of crazy. I watched a lot of my friends get uh, scholarship offers to the schools that we go on visits to, and you know they would tell me that I could come in and compete. Um, you know, for a spot on the team, but they weren't going to offer me anything. So coming out, I had a $1,000 offer to Acadia, and I thought that was pretty good, but it was something like unsettling. I didn't I didn't want to – I knew I could be better, and I, I just needed the coaching and the, the guidance and just the somebody to put their trust in me. So, um, I mean, for me, it kind of – it kind of – it's like the same thing coming into this process. I didn't have a lot of – a lot of hype. I didn't have a lot of interest, and I wasn't even ranked on the scouting bureau. I mean, the first on the first scouting bureau. So I was under the radar, and it kind of brought me back to that feeling that I had in high school. Um, you know, just just kind of chase chase the feeling of being wanted, and and yeah, that's uh, that's how I felt coming out of high school. But I guess I was surprised in the, in, the, in in the long run. So what? Tell us about what you decided to do. You mentioned you had the the one thousand dollars scholarship at Acadia, but you decided not to go the the U Sports route or the CIS route. You decided instead to go kind of the the Canadian version of of junior college. You went to Quebec, Champlain Champlain Regional College is is where you decided to go right after high school. Tell us about that system. Tell us about the decision and and why you decided to go down that road. Yeah, um, so I made the decision, and it was I didn't want to go, and then I got I got kind of pressured into going, and I thought I was taking a step back, but in the long run, I, I knew that I wanted to, to to see what it was about. So I went to a May camp, um, a little, little spring camp, and I got I garnered a lot of interest over like two days. I had a bunch more schools just asking about me, and I seen them watching some of the other players, and I was like. There's no way that I could sell for a thousand dollars worth, and I could be so much more if I just take a leap of faith. So I did. I took the leap of faith, and 
you know, within the next few days, I we were scrambling, scrambling to get transcripts together, pay deposits and fees and scan things and fax them to, to meet the deadline. But I ended up getting into Champlain Regional College, um, and, you know, I was blessed with the wonderful coach, uh, uh, Jean-Francois Jean-Ca, uh, and he helped guide me into who I am today. And, you know, I met a lot of players, um, like the uh, the sixth pick in the draft last night, Adele Claire. Um, he was somebody that I was fortunate enough to win a championship with at at Champlain, and it was just a great environment. It helped me. I was I went from somebody that just uh, played football into an actual football player, um, and that's the transition that I made at, at um, Champlain, and obviously it helped me get to where I am today. So. What like who else are you playing in that league? What's the caliber of football? We're we're not it's, we're not super familiar with it out here in Alberta. Tell us about the league and and the level of football you were playing right at a high school. Yeah, um, I mean it, it goes. It's crazy. You uh, you have to grow a lot as football players. Not just it's not the same as high school football. It's uh, I would say it's up there with you know with some of the CIS teams. Uh, I, I know that if you look at the draft and you look at the players that played Sajep uh, and you look at their success, those are the type of guys you played against, like uh, Matthew Betts, um, obviously Adele Claire. Um, I could go on for a while, but just off the top of my head, mm-hmm. those are those are two guys that um, I played against and I played I played with Adam. But we're just amazing athletes, man, and we're doing that at such a young age, and we're growing and we're learning different schemes. And and obviously, I went that's French as well, right? So. It was just another kind of barrier for me, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a crazy caliber that you're going against. Yeah, so so they were like it was mostly like those are English language. That, that was an English language school you were at, right? Yes, sir. But most most your teammates were yeah. French. That was that was a bit of a that was a bit of a barrier for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my pretty much all my teammates were you know, fluent in French, and it was kind of one of those barriers that you have to break, uh, you know, a comfort barrier where you're you're comfortable speaking in, in French and English and, you know, communicating on and off the field, uh, you know, as friends and, you know, as teammates and, and eventually as brothers. So it was cool, though. It was a good process. Did you have, like, so were, did you speak the language at all before going there? Yeah, actually, I was in uh, French immersion, so my okay. whole, pretty much my whole life here, so... I was good, but there's a difference, man, between uh, between French immersion and Quebecois French, man. There's a big difference. So, um, that was a bit of a learning had, had experience to for you. Make that jump. Yeah. With, uh, with Isaac Adeyemi Berglund, who is the third overall pick of the Calgary Stampeders in yesterday's CFL draft. Okay, so there you are. You're playing a season in Quebec, and then the NCAA comes calling, uh, and southeastern Louisiana. And I know that you've said a few times that you have no idea how they got a hold of your tape. Like, t- how how surprised were you when this school from Hammond, Louisiana, is giving you a call and offering you a scholarship? Yeah, it was. A, it's a dream come true. I was actually I was at basketball practice for Champlain, and uh, like I just had finished practice and I got a call, and he was like. Yeah, man, we're gonna offer you a scholarship. Just give me a couple of days. Let me talk to the head man. Um, it was, it was, uh, you know, one of those things where you don't. It's kind of like right now. It's like it doesn't feel real until it happens. And man, it happened. And I was just getting those papers faxed over to me and signing them it was such a crazy feeling. Like everything that I worked for, it paid off. And 
um, super thankful to the the coaching staff there, the former coaching staff there for, you know, believing in me and taking a chance on me as well. So tell us about Southeastern Louisiana and playing there. the the whole the whole idea of of moving that far from home is fascinating to me and and now here you are in deep south united states playing in hammond louisiana just tell us about that experience yeah i got down uh i really only played three years of college ball and i don't think a lot of people know that um the ncaa took a year away from me um for going to champlain coming from dartmouth so uh, i got down there may of 2016 i was there all summer um, busting my butt in the weight room, uh, just just really going as hard as I could. And obviously there was a shock there with the with the weather. And the first thing that happened, my coach picked me up and he uh, had a bag full of crawfish and he uh, dropped me off at one of my teammates' house. And you know I didn't know what they were, I didn't know how to eat them, and it was it was, it was fun, man. But uh, I get there and and I find out I'm not going to be playing that that first year, and I'm going to be a scout team player for that first year, which is I think something that I didn't need, but I think it worked out well for me because it showed me, um, you know, it just humbled me. And uh, so I sat that year, didn't play. I won uh, scout team defensive player of the year, uh, which actually I took a lot of pride in. Uh, and I was just going hard all that year, and that was 2016. Man, going into 2017, I played behind a guy, a transfer from LSU where I just took limited snaps. And then 2018 was kind of a breakout year for me playing against LSU um, and, and just having, you know, starting all those games and, and being a captain for those games. And uh, my coach giving me the reins to the team and, and allowing me to be the leader that I'm capable of being. And rolling into 2019, playing Old Miss, um, winning, a, winning a playoff, FCS playoff game at home, uh, going to the second round of playoffs uh, versus Montana. Uh, it, was, it was just a great experience. And I just learned so much. And I, I – you know, I got so much better playing against SEC talent, and I feel like that's in the draft. A lot of players didn't didn't have that on their resume. Didn't go mm-hmm. against some of the best players to ever play football at the college level. At least I feel like. So uh, I feel like that worked out well for me, and um, it was a great experience. I would do it a hundred times. I would do it over and over and over again, and I learned so much from the South. And I'm excited to to go back and visit one day. So. Let me get this straight. NCAA made you redshirt your first year, so basically you had to be a redshirt freshman that was kind of forced upon you? Yeah, so they said it was a year of residency. Um, since I didn't um, end up graduating from Champlain, it was such a it was such a gray area because nobody had really done it before from Champlain and from Dartmouth to Champlain. So going from the East Coast to Quebec and then going down to the States, nobody had really done it. Uh, with NCAA, and they ended up taking a year away from me and saying I'm I'm a sophomore on the field, but I'm a freshman in the classroom. So if they they said that if they let me play, then I would finish out my football eligibility before I finished out my academic eligibility, and they didn't huh. want that. So they made me sit and I, to become to finish out my freshman year. So I was a sophomore in the classroom and a sophomore on the field. So I I only ended up playing three years. Um, I feel like I could have done some damage if I played four years, but I feel like I did pretty well in those those few. Well, yeah, I mean, the junior and senior seasons, you, you seem to do uh, quite a bit of damage, so it, it didn't seem like it hurt you too much. So did you did you uh, did you end up finishing? Like, did you end up leaving Southern Louis- Southeastern Louisiana with uh, with a degree and all that type of stuff? 
Yeah, actually, um, all my classes are online, so I'm about to graduate here next week, get my diploma in the mail, uh, get it sent over here. So I'm excited for that as well. What's your like? What what, what are you studying? What's your undergrad? Uh, I'm in uh, integrative biology, uh, pre med profile. Oh, very cool. So, like, like you, you've set yourself up pretty nicely whenever football is done. If you want to go back to school, then. Yeah, that was always my uh, that was always my idea. I was always I always took a lot of pride in in the classroom, um, and as well as with my teammates, uh, getting them right in the classroom. Um, but that was something I always thought about. You know, football comes down to a lot of tangible factors. You know, height, weight, speed, strength. Um, it doesn't always come down to to how good you are sometimes it comes down to being in the right place at the right time or even who you know so uh, i feel like you know with the doctor and being in the classroom that's something that i can control 100 percent. nobody can say i'm too slow to be a doctor um you know on the field or i'm not strong enough to be a doctor so uh that was always something i wanted to do and be kind of the professional athlete of the real world and and be able to help people um you know with with real world problems so that's something i look forward to uh you know, when my football career comes to an end. Yeah, being uh, you know, being a doctor is a fallback career. That's that's not a bad thing to to have in your back pocket. Just a couple more with uh, Isaac Adiemi Berglund, <laughs> third overall pick of the uh, Calgary Stampeders in last night's CFL draft. You mentioned it. You know, you're playing FCS football, but you did get into some games against some big time SEC schools. I know that you take uh, some pride in uh, you, you've uh, on your resume. You've got three sacks on the number one pick of last weekend's NFL draft and Joe Burrow. Like, t- tell us how playing teams like LSU and, and Ole Miss and, and getting into games against those those big powerhouse SEC schools, how that made you a better football player. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. Me, I, w- I was always uh, I was always hungry for competition, and that's a big reason why you've seen, if you follow the journey, like my journey is why, you see me not settle for Acadia because I wanted to become better. I wanted to play against better, uh, you know, competition, and then not selling for a small school, and then going to an to well, you know, I did go to a small school, but not selling for you know a Canadian school, and just because, and, and trying to get to the NCAA so I could try to put on a show and and go against the best of the best, and that's what I did. And I feel like when you play those types of competition, you just you can stack up against them and and see what you need to do to improve or you know, how you you face up in, in adversity. And I feel like over those two, three games that I played against uh, SEC teams and, and big conference teams, uh, they've done really – they've done wonders for my confidence and, and shown me what I need to do to be better. You know, you played linebacker and you played defensive end. You're like – have you talked to the Stamps? Like defensive end is, is where they project you and, and that's that's kind of what they're looking at as, as they bring you into the fold? Uh, yes, sir. I believe that's what we're going to do. Um, I'm open to whatever, wherever they want to throw me, man. I'm a football player. And if you turn on that film, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a high motor guy who's just trying to get the football and, and do it the fastest way possible and uh, the most violent way possible. So uh, I'm open to whatever, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be at a defensive end position. How ready do you feel to jump in and, and play CFL football right away? Man, I'm always I'm always ready. Of course, there's gonna be a, um, you know, there's gonna be a like you know I gotta learn. I can't just say that I'm I'm good to go. But I feel like, you know, energy wise, I'm ready to go. Uh, as far as physical physical shape goes, I feel like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to strap on the pads, and I'm just excited to to start meeting with the team and 
and learning learning my teammates, uh, you know, even their names and, you know, how how things work in the CFL. But I feel ready 100%. And a final thought for you. I found this really interesting that uh, you have never attended a CFL football game live, and, and understandably so, being in Atlanta, Canada growing up. But you'll, you'll now get that opportunity to do so. But I was reading a, a few of your pre-draft interviews leading up to this, and, and – um, just how excited you are for the opportunity to play in Canada. Like, you, you are fired up to come to the CFL, hey? Yeah, that's my thing. That's what I wanted to make known. Um, you know, because it's different. Every kid has a dream of going to the NFL. That's just how it is. Uh, but coming from Canada, man, and I've been removed from home for so long, to be able to be here as a Canadian in the Canadian Football League, playing for one of the premier organizations in the CFL, man, it is such a crazy feeling. I can't even explain it. So being able to represent not only uh, not only Calgary, um, but the Maritimes whenever I, whenever I step on the field. And, you know, the first time I see a uh, CFL game, I'm going to be playing in one. So I feel like it's going to be a, an amazing feeling, man. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, to, to get started on the journey. Awesome, man. Well, we hope to see you out here as soon as humanly possible. I know there are things that are out of our control that that might delay that a little bit, that will delay that a little bit. But uh, looking forward to seeing you on the field for the first time, Isaac. Uh, Congratulations on last night. Welcome to Calgary, and thanks for doing this this afternoon. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, anytime, man. I appreciate you all, and I can't wait to meet everyone. That's awesome. Isaac Adeyemi Berglund is the number three overall selection in last night's CFL draft defensive end coming out of southeastern Louisiana. Uh, he looks, uh, he, he sure does sound like he's ready to rock and roll. Uh, he had himself a really impressive final two years at southeastern Louisiana and um, under the radar to begin with on the CFL Scouting Bureau, but really popped on in the last two rankings. He goes number three overall last night to the Calgary Stampeders. Matty Rose will join us a little bit later on, give us more of a rundown as to what the Stamps did yesterday at the CFL Draft. But from a number three overall pick with the Stampeders to a brand-new signee of the Calgary Flames, Dustin Wolf, coming off two outstanding seasons with Everett in the Western Hockey League, signed his entry-level contract today. He joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg. It's Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Congratulations to our next guest as earlier today. Everett Silvertips goaltender and 2019 seventh round pick of the Calgary Flames, Dustin Wolf, signed his entry level contract with the team, and he joins us right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Dustin, congratulations! How uh, how's this feel today to officially have signed your first NHL contract? Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, definitely a great day to say the least. Um, you know what? It's it's just another step in the right direction, and. Um, you know, I'm just going to enjoy it. I know this has uh, all been very much out of your hands. Usually on these things, uh, the agents take care of most of it. But just uh, from your perspective, take us through how this all came about and, and how we got to here. Yeah, my agent first reached out about um, talking with Calgary a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, it all kind of came together the last couple of days. On uh, I think it was Monday um, my agent said they were going to try to get it done this week, and then um, they finalized it yesterday afternoon, and then I was able to sign the papers here this morning. So it all happened pretty quick. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I'm curious as to, like, on the one hand, it's this really awesome accomplishment, and it's like, okay, I've, I've gotten to this point. I've now put pen to paper on an NHL contract. But it seems like the message usually is, okay, this is your first step. The work is, is just really getting started. Is that kind of how you're approaching it too? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's pretty much the way I like to roll with things. I mean, after the same like with after the draft, um, like I said, there it was great accomplishment and a day I'll remember forever. But um, now is where the where the real work starts, and um, you know it was kind of step one. And um, I like to think of signing this contract as like step two. And um, you know, hopefully in a couple of years, um, I could achieve step three of playing a game. So. So tell us about the the last couple of years, and I know that you didn't get the opportunity to finish out this season because of what's going on in the world. But you know you've been the the full time number one guy as in effort the last couple of years. Tell us about taking on that mantle and and how good you felt about the last couple of seasons with the Silver Tips. Yeah, the last couple of years have been amazing. You know what? It's the big reason why I came to Everett was to play a lot of games and. Um, you know, I've been able to do just that. I think I've played over 100 the past two seasons. And, um, you know, stepping into the number one role last year and playing nearly almost every game, um, you know, you gain a lot of confidence when you string together a lot of um, good games and you're getting wins on the board. And, um, you know, what, it, it just goes a long way. The more experience you have, you can read more plays. And, um, you know, it's only done me justice. Well, and it's not like you had uh, small shoes or small skates to fill in Everett either. The the guy that you were taken over for was uh, was was a pretty big deal with the Silver Tips too. Tell us about you know having uh, Carter Hart before you and then stepping into that crease and and I don't know is, is it pressure or is it just like holy cow like this is this guy was pretty good in front of me. Did, tell, tell us about that and, and how it felt for you in that uh, in that situation. Yeah, it was definitely a pretty cool scenario. You know, you don't don't see very often where you can um, come in behind a guy that's playing in the NHL and be able to, um, you know, take over the next season. But uh, that season was something pretty special. Not only was the group and, um, you know, the run we had, it was awesome. But, um, you know, just being around him, he does all the right things he needs to do, right? He, there's a reason why he's playing in the NHL today and, um you know, while you learn a lot of well unique things from him, and um, you know, it's definitely uh, a learning lesson, and you learn a lot. And you know, I think it's only benefited me up up to this point. We're talking with Dustin Wolf of the Everett Silver Tips. Just when you take a look at um, the last two seasons, a 9.36 and a 9.35 save percentage. You don't see those numbers very often in major junior hockey. You don't see them very often in, in the Western Hockey League. And I know that the guy before you and Carter Hart put up some similar numbers too. But how much, like, do you pay a lot of attention to that? Is, is that a number that you take a lot of pride in, the save percentage number? Or do you try to not think too much about it? Because from the outside, it's, it's a pretty impressive total. But how do, you, how do you look at what you've been able to do in that regard the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it's certainly something I take pride in. I think the main thing is um, being able to get wins for your team. And um, the way I look at it is I want to be the top of of every leaderboard, whatever that may be. Um, You know, I thought this year could have been even better than it was, but 
um, you know what, it's a learning process, and you got to take it a day at a time. And um, you know, not every day is going to be perfect in the way you want it to be. So, um, you know, over the past couple of years, and being able to rebound from games that you might have thought could have went better, um, and also just be able to string together good games, it's it's very much a learning process. And um, you know, it's pretty awesome to be able to go through all these these times, and um, you know, be able to string your career together and hopefully be able to move on you're not going to be able to finish this season with the silver tips in, in the western hockey league it's i know that's so frustrating and, and so disappointing for for so many players and, and a lot of guys who just kind of had to play their last western hockey league game without even knowing it but how mentally how have you come to grips with and and got your head around the fact that season isn't going to be completed. It's kind of just going to end, and, and you're not going to have the opportunity to put a bow on it. How difficult has that been? Yeah, definitely pretty hard. You know, it it all came together so quick. You know, we were almost, we were just about to head out for a road trip on on a 3-3. Three and three. We were headed out to Tri-City on a Thursday morning, and, um, you know, that was the, the Wednesday night prior is when um, the NBA shut everything down, and um, you know, you're watching that in your bedroom and you're like, wow, what, what all is going to happen now? And, um, you know, the next morning you go for a practice and then you don't leave and you're kind of all up in the air and the league says, well, you, nobody's going anywhere. You're just going to stay home or we're going to try to figure some things out in the next couple of days. And next thing you know, a week later they cancel the season and eventually the playoffs. So um, definitely pretty tough. I mean, we had a really good group here, and we thought we could have gone a long way. Um, you know, it was really disappointing from a 20-year-old perspective who, like you said, never knew they were going to be playing their last game in, you know, March or whatever it was. So, um, you know, definitely disappointing, but um, you just got to try to find the positive now at it. With Dustin Wolf, Calgary Flames prospect goaltender, Everett Silvertips goaltender, who signed his entry-level contract with the team today. He's on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. So, Dustin, tell us where you're at now and what your normal day-to-day is. It's it's a big season coming up. You did get a game at the World Juniors. It's your 19-year-old season. This this would be a huge off-season, but it's not really a normal one yet, is it? No, not at all. I'm currently still in uh, Everett, Washington. I live with my family up here. And, um, you know, it's kind of been a, a weird scenario. Like you said, it's when it all kind of came down, to a hall that uh, you know you're not sure what to do with your time so immediately you kind of like resort to the xbox and the video games but uh, over the last couple of weeks i've discovered that it's not all video games there's a lot of other things you can be doing you know to improve yourself and so i've really been diving into different workout regiments and um, a lot of different stretching routines and you know diving into more nutritional information to help my body along the way and um, you know what, while it's a terrible time, I think it's a good opportunity to be able to use this large amount of sum of time uh, wisely and, you know, find different ways to uh, to get better. Yeah, fair enough. What was your contact like with the Flames having been uh, drafted last summer and, you know, knowing that you were their property but not yet signed? Was there usual visits? Was Is there a lot of calls that you have? Do you whatsapp uh chat with sort of the development folks how how have they kept tabs right from uh, draft day till now yeah the communication with them has been remarkable you know what it's something i definitely wouldn't have expected um 
coming into the season. Um, they were very supportive. I have Thomas Spear out in Stockton. Um, he's always contacting me, see how things are going, um, sending me some different drills to do and whatnot. And we go over video quite a lot. And um, Come this summer, I've been talking with Jordan Siglett a ton. And, um, you know, to have these awesome resources is definitely pretty nice. And then um, Ron Sutter comes out to a lot of the games out in Everett or even on the road. And, um, you know, I've been able to get to know Ron quite a bit after uh, his son Riley played on played with me in Everett for the past couple of seasons and later graduated on to the Washington Capital System this past year. Um, but you know what? It's it's been remarkable. They've been nothing but but great to me, and they open they uh, you know whatever I need, they're more than welcome to help me out, which is awesome. What uh, what do you have in terms of a role model? Is there a goaltender you look up to? Are there guys that you keep tabs with? Do you have maybe uh, a goaltender who you've just poured over their career and can't seem to get enough info from? I, I wonder who your influences are in the crease. Yeah, it's definitely changed over time. Being uh, growing up in Northern California, the Bay Area, um, Nabaka was the guy for quite a while. So he was the easy target to, to dial in on. And then um, later on, relocating to the Los Angeles area, Quick was um, you know the guy at that time when they went on their couple cup runs. And um, you know they were a winning squad for a numerous amount of years. And um, over the last few years, it's just been about um, you know, identifying goalies and the different strengths they have. I think uh, UC Sorrells is, is a guy that comes to mind, similar stature to me, and, um, you know, he's had great success over the past couple of years, which is awesome to see for a smaller goalie. Are, do you get sick and tired of talking about that? I mean, you're a very normal-sized human and a normal-sized hockey player, but just for <laughs> goalies, it feels like you got to be a – you know, someone that looks like they should be in high jump to, to be considered a normal height. I mean, you're six foot, and then people are keep asking you about your height, I bet. Oh, I know. It's always a topic of conversation. But, I mean, um, you know, people are going to think think about what they want to. And, obviously, there's a lot of clubs out there that um, only pick goalies based on their size. And, you know, what? it's tough to see for us goalies that are smaller. But then you get clubs like Calgary that take a chance on you and um, – you know, I'm going to do my best to prove every other team that passed on me wrong and, um, you know, show, show Calgary that they picked somebody that's going to, you know, win them games. Yeah, fair enough. Is there a guy that you look at in similar stature at the NHL level that, that you say, okay, I have a similar traits or strengths? Uh, I mean, the measuring tape's one thing, but there's very different styles. Is there one guy that you're like, I think that guy and I probably are the closest? Yeah, I'd say UC Sorrells out in Nashville is probably the, the closest in, you know, similar styles. I mean, um, very mobile in the crease, good on his posts, um, you know, finds pucks through traffic pretty well. Um, obviously, height is similar as well. And, um, you know, there's a couple other guys out there, but I think um, Sorrells is the most overall similar. But, I mean, I like to try and pick and choose and find – different goaltenders' strengths and, um, you know, find ways to um, utilize that information and improve my game bit by piece. Uh, can I put you on the spot and ask you who the greatest goaltender of all time was? Do you have a, a hot take or an opinion on that? Ooh. Oh, my God. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know if I've got a for sure answer, but I feel like 
uh, Murray Bridger has probably got to be up there. Yeah, fair enough. It's uh, newly signed uh, and WHL netminder of the year, Dustin Wolf, joining us on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, just a few more for you, Dustin, and and I, I know that you were asked about you know some of the guys that you watched growing up. I, I'm just curious, like, and I know you've talked about this before, but tell us about how you found your way to hockey in California. How did that come about? How did the journey to being in the Western Hockey League begin in California? Yeah, through a very unorthodox way about it, I think. Um... You know, my family had season tickets to the Sharks for numerous amount of years, and that's just kind of where it stemmed from. You know, my family didn't really play hockey. Um, my dad played a little men's league here and there, but, um, you know, it's not like I had family that was super involved with hockey where it was easy to get into. It just kind of came about it. I was taking skating one day by my mom, and, um, you know, it later on became into playing uh, rec hockey and then later on travel hockey so it all kind of escalated fairly quick and um you know what it definitely wouldn't change anything of it it was uh it's been an awesome journey and um no it's been very fun was was goalie always the position for you was that like the like that's the position i want to play i like the equipment it looks cool or or did you start wanting to be a skater and then you kind of fell into being a goalie you know, I'm not too sure, honestly. Like, I started as a skater just learning how to skate. And, um, you know, that's the easy thing to do is just put your kid in uh, player gear and just trying to get them to learn some some skating and, you know, some hockey, uh, just learn how to play hockey in general. And um, come playing directly, I was just the kid that wanted to be the crazy guy that did in front of the net. I don't know why that was. It just happened to be. And, um, you know, at the time, it wasn't really about the equipment or anything, but the equipment is definitely nice nowadays. So, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. It looks pretty good these days. What what was your World Junior experience like? I know that you weren't the number one guy um, this time around, but, you know, you, you did get the one game in. But the overall experience, tell us about being uh, a World Junior and representing the United States at such a high-profile tournament. Yeah, it was a great experience. Obviously, I played with the U.S. Um, on one other occasion prior in the uh, the Linka Gretzky Cup, and um, you know, it was kind of my first taste of USA Hockey and their their structure, and um, had a great time there. And then coming in to the World Juniors, you know what? We had a, a great group of guys. It was, um, you know, like you said, a little disappointing that I didn't get to play more games. But at the end of the day, you got a great goaltender in Spencer Knight. Um, right in front of you so um, you know what I was there in case um, they called upon me and you know what I got my chance to play against Germany and um, while the numbers might not look the greatest I did my best to um, you know get the team a win it was a very critical point after losing to Canada the night before and um, you know it was an awesome time an awesome month between um, camp and Plymouth flying out the check and all the the long days of travel and, um, you know, getting to spend a month with some great guys. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of them that are going to play in the NHL one day. So it's awesome to have those relationships. Well, and not a lot of people get to go play in multiple 
World Juniors, and, and you know, you've got uh, a really, really strong chance of being the guy and the number one guy at, at this year's tournament coming up at the end of the year. How, how much do you look forward to that? How much is that on your radar about getting an opportunity to go back and, and do it a second time? Yeah, it would be amazing to be able to, you know, put on the U.S. jersey again. Um, obviously, it was a little disappointing the way it ended this past year in the quarterfinals, and um, you know, uh, we we certainly had the team to do it, but things just didn't fall in the right places. But um, definitely would be an, an awesome accomplishment to be able to play play with them again, and um, obviously it's a little, a little more closer to home, which is definitely nice. You don't have all the fatigue from travel and whatnot, but um, you know, at this point in time, you're just hoping it doesn't get canceled. So we're hoping for the best. Good stuff, Dustin. Really appreciate the time this afternoon. Congratulations on your first contract, and uh, we hope to see you here in Calgary real soon. Thanks for doing this this afternoon. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. It's Dustin Wolf of the Everett Silvertips, Calgary Flames prospect goaltender, signing his entry-level contract with the team today. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Some more Flames talk coming up at the top of the hour. A good extended chunk of time with the general manager, Brad Tree Living, who spoke to us a little earlier today. Some great stuff on Wolf, the other prospects that have been signed, the NHL restarting, the NHL draft, and a whole lot more that's coming up at the yeah. top of the hour. Uh, Pinder and Steinberg, live on a Friday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at Sportsnet. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberger on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to your Friday afternoon, your afternoon diversion. Uh, yes, we are now in day of the Sports Some signs of it's getting closer. There's also been some, I guess, false starts as well. Your mic, your mic we, was doing. Your, your, your mic, your mic was doing so well, and then as soon as you hit the air, brutal. Here's kind of what your mic sounds like when uh, when you're when it goes. Here's my imitation. Oh dear. It is day forty-one of the apocalypse, and we're doing a uh, big. Uh, don't worry about the overall. Uh, that's kind of what it sounds like. It's very accurate. accurate. Am I am I good now, or is it the same old crap? You're good. You're no, good you're better. Continue. Okay. Um, I guess start, start just, the whole thing over. I, I really don't want to. It's Friday. <laughs> uh, it's taking every fiber of my body to not crack a tall boy right now. So do it. I'm not going to reset it. Uh, I'm not in my kitchen either. Maybe we start a new segment, uh, a one-time only segment that we can run at 4:40 called "We're Definitely Not Drinking." Uh, but for now. I just thought a uh, big picture on the pandemic, Patty. The Bundesliga has got three positive cases of COVID, uh, no symptoms. They were going to be one of the leagues set to reopen first amongst, uh, you know, sports that aren't, you know, golf and racing where there isn't contact with other humans. Uh, I don't know what this means, but it certainly does remind us that there's a whole lot of plans in place that may or may not matter. Yeah, and that's that's it. so. Who uh, I haven't read this, but who who tested? What players, staff, support staff? Like, what are we talking about? 
I believe it was three players. I'm just looking at one of the executives from the Canadian Premier League who had tweeted it out um, just earlier today and saying, you guys still think this is a really good idea, essentially? Now, he was quoting a, a tweet that was in German, which is, uh, you know, not my mother tongue, Pat, uh, nor any tongue that I, I'm familiar with at all. But essentially, three t- positive tests for... I'm trying to translate uh, for players, but I don't know which team. And I wonder, what does that mean? They, don't, they didn't have symptoms. Three guys test positive. Do you shut it down? Do you continue to test everyone? Do you buy, push things back a couple of weeks? Or do you just rock on and isolate those guys? These are the types of uh, questions that we'll, we'll soon see how leagues are going to answer them. But it's... Uh, well, here's, I, think I, have the, I have the answer for you. Um, okay. Three teams in Cologne, uh, one of the great cities I've ever visited. What a Players spot, by the way. Oh, I, like second only to Berlin is, is my uh, top spot uh, that I visited. But, yeah, three players in Cologne uh, testing positive. Those three players will now enter a 14-day quarantine. Okay. Um, it's interesting because I don't know um, – I don't know the ins and outs of how the Bundesliga is going about this because, you know, we have a pretty good idea or a somewhat decent idea of how it would look or how it's going to look in the NHL in that we've got a pretty decent idea that these players are going to be so controlled and so under lock and key that I I really believe the risk of transmission and the risk of, of somebody testing positive if the NHL goes forward with this idea and they're able to have the controls that they'd like, I don't think there's a huge risk. I really don't uh, because these players are going to be so isolated and there's going to be so much testing that I, I think that it's it's a fairly slim uh, chance that somebody's going to end up, A, getting it, and B, spreading it in a large way. Now, huh. some might call me naive, but I, I have plenty to back that up, and, and I would. And now's not the time, but I, we could have a nice conversation about it. But I don't know how controlled and how under lockdown, lock and key, different teams in the Bundesliga have been. That's very interesting. Sure. They haven't gone to central hub cities. Uh, as, as far as I know, they have not been isolated into hotel floors where they're not allowed to leave other than to practice and to play. So I, I don't know how transferable what's happening in Germany with yeah. three players and uh, on the Cologne Club testing positive would be to what the NHL or the NBA or even Major League Baseball might try to do in the coming weeks and months. What's interesting is the original Major League Baseball plan that had them in Phoenix and using the numerous spring facilities there, not to mention the Diamondbacks uh, ballpark and even some collegiate ballparks in the area, uh, there were contingencies that were part of that report that was either leaked or floated, depending how you want to look at it, on how players would be treated with a positive. In there. So I, I think all these other sports leagues, you know, not racing and not golf, but the, the ones where humans actually have contact each other, They'll be watching this closely. What can we put in place? What sort of protocols can we have? And no matter how safe we think things are, what happens if you do have a case? Because this isn't a game of predicting whether you'll have one or not. It's what do you do when you get one? And you, you hope you don't have to use that contingency, but you better have a plan in place for it, right? Absolutely. And I, I, I don't think there's any way that and, – and we talk a lot about the NHL because that's our bread and butter here at this station. So let's talk about the NHL. I don't think there's any way the NHL returns and they drop the puck on games in the summertime if they don't have pages long worth of, 
of contingency plans. What happens if an arena worker at Rogers Place ends up testing positive? What happens if a PR guy or PR girl tests positive? What happens if if, if a player tests positive? All these types of things. Um, What happens if if a player, um, like, as far as I know, like, the idea is you do not, like, from, from who I've talked to in the league, the idea that, that has been floated around is you do not leave the hotel, you do not leave your floor unless it is going to be chaperoned with the team. Like, you are going to be so isolated and so locked down. What what happens if somebody sneaks out? Like, what happens if somebody yeah. uh, goes out the fire escape and, and, you know, goes to have a beer somewhere? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but all these different things I think there's going to be contingency plans for. I can't imagine the NHL would go forward with a plan if, if they didn't have all of their I's dotted and T's crossed on this. It's just there's too much at stake. Yeah. Well, and from the league's perspective, I think what you said is exactly what they want. The question will be, where is the ground on which the PA agrees? Because we've heard from insiders like Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman that, you know, if you get all the way along to a semifinals or a final four, a league finals, that families may be in the bubble at that point. So clearly the NHL would love to put these guys essentially in, you know, cryogenic chambers. All right, that's the wrong word. Uh, like just little bubbles where they can't leave. But there's also a human element to this. And the players are going to push back for a little more access to a normal existence, uh, be it visiting family or the ability to not be cooped up in a hotel for theoretically what? From training camps all the way through till uh, Stanley Cup's awarded in July. That's, uh, or I guess, what, August even to September? That's, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a long amount of time. So this will be interesting to see where the two sides agree because both of them have so much to gain economically for getting it done. But I think the amount of risk that players would allow themselves to inherit to see their loved ones would be very different than what you would want robots to do if you're a league, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and we're not talking about robots playing the game. Uh, Okay. Up next, uh, usually we try to, you know, usually it's around 20 minutes, but Bradshaw Living, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, did some really, really good stuff today. Uh, he had some off-the-record stuff that I have cut out of this, unfortunately. Oh, but, yeah, when, when the GM said, hey, off the record, I'm not going to... I'm not going to throw him out of the bus. Um, just in case somebody at the Flames is listening right now, any of the off the off the record stuff is is not in this. Uh, but Brad, do you remember Trudeau, when general manager? I, I do remember. I, I take notes. He on told us that his least favorite uh, media member was, and uh, the player he hates the most. All that we've cut out. So uh, the rest coming up next. <laughs> Brad for Living, general manager of the Calgary Flames, is uh, up next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary Flames have been busy. They have signed Dustin Wolf to his entry-level contract today. Earlier this week, they signed Emilio Peterson to his entry-level deal, and they made it official. Johanna Schinval out of Sweden has signed a contract as well. Lots to talk about with the GM of the Calgary Flames. He gave some updates and spoke to the Calgary media today. Here is GM Brad Trilliving from a little earlier this afternoon. We signed Emilio Pedersen from uh, from DU via Norway. Um, and uh, I, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We, we had had, and, and I've been asked, uh, we... We had talked about Emilio, and really it, we followed the similar plan that we would normally do at the end of a season is just sort of convene and talk about, you know, players, whether they be in college 
college junior and and Europe and really get an update from our our development team of where they're at and and how their seasons have gone in sort of a timeline and and I would say you know the if you had asked me this back in January I, I we probably felt that Amelia would be going back to to Denver um once we we paused and went through everything and chatted with him and 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 I and I and I personally had a number of conversations with him just where he's at and we made the determination to bring him out um at, at this point and certainly it wasn't something where we were uh putting a gun to his head um and as I told him there's no bad decision here he's a, he's had a really good program um in Denver good coaching they were going to be a, a top team next year but we just felt and I, I I give a lot of credit to the player where you know as we talk through all the different scenarios he felt a year from now um having a year of pro under his belt and 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 he'd be that for, much further ahead and and obviously we're excited to get our development team's hands on him on a on a day-to-day -day basis um our guys are our development guys are involved with all these guys when they're in junior college or what have <laughs> you to get them under our umbrella and uh and work with our guys on a daily basis and, and gals is is real good so that's Emilio, um, and I think most of you are familiar with him. Um, he's attended a couple of development camps since we drafted him. He's six-round pick in 18. And then we've got Johan Schinval, who is a 97-born um, um, right-shot defenseman who plays in, in the Swedish Elite League or the SHL, Swedish Hockey League. Um, and... It, and and Johannes is a guy that we've tracked here for a couple of years, um, identified by Hawk and Lube uh, a couple of years ago. We brought him into a development camp last year, um, followed him, and and our staff was in to see him throughout the year, and and really had a, an excellent year. Early, I would say his year was split into two. Um, his season really took off after Christmas. Um, you know his. He put up a, a 40 points in a, in a really good league for those that aren't familiar with the Swedish Hockey League. It's a it's an excellent league. It's a mature league, um, and and so we think this kid's got a real real opportunity. Now his he will go back. The plan for him is to go back to the club team he plays for there is HV71. So the plan for him is to go back um, in 2021. Um, uh, I think he will attend our camp. I mean, obviously, we don't know when things are going to happen with training camp, but the plan for him is to train, attend our training camp um, and all those types of things that may happen. Normal normal course of things would be a rookie camp and training camp. And then his plan, the plan for him would be go back. But we think he, he brings a real element as a power play guy. He moves the puck well. Like a lot of these guys, um, his play away from the puck, getting a little stronger physically uh are things that he'll work on but we think we we got a chance to have a player there and then um i think we've announced today the signing of dustin wolf um our, our seventh round pick in 19. um and i think many of you are familiar with dustin's story an interesting story um and we got him at a spot in the draft we probably didn't think we were going to get him um, and all he's done, I mean, it, it's funny with him, people talk about 
a lot of the things he isn't, which is six foot four. But um, Kelly can speak to this. I don't know a lot about goaltending, but I know it's good when it, the puck hits the guy, and this seems to, seems to hit this guy a lot. So that's a good thing. Um, so I don't really care how big you are if it, if you find a way to keep it out. And and this is what he does. And he's a really really determined young guy. Um, so good for him. He's still a young young player. He just recently turned 19, but he's had a real, you know, he's had two years where he's put up top numbers in the in the Western Hockey League, and I suspect he'll be named the goaltender of the year. I may be a little bit biased, but I think that comes up later in this month. Um, we think we think we got three real good young prospects there, and I, I, it goes without saying. Obviously, we've tried to be. One of the things we've tried to do here is, you know, when you look at Shinval and then you look at, at Mackey and Poolman earlier, uh, one of the marching orders we gave our staff was trying to, you know, outside of the draft, fill, fill some needs on our reserve list. We've graduated a lot of young defensemen. If you look at our defense at the NHL level, we got a lot of young guys. But um, two factors, the fact that we haven't drafted a lot, many defensemen, or any, not many, any in the last couple of years. And it, and it, that's a function of just our board. We go with the best player available. So um, we're not going to reach and, and go by position. You, you certainly like to have more in the in the pipeline there, but we haven't drafted um, to the position and we've graduated some young guys. So you have to now go get aggressive and, and continue to re, restock that. I'm excited about the guys that we've added. Uh, as well as a couple of these guys on American League contracts um, who we think um, have a, have an opportunity here. And so that's outside of the draft. And then we're going to have a draft coming up here at some point when we can continue to add to it. So credit to the, the scouting staff, both pro and amateur. And if you look at these two recent signings in Pedersen and Wolf, I mean, these are late round selections. And and any time that you can you can find those are like gold chips when you get them in the later rounds and and it's a you know our our our, our marching orders here is every pick counts i don't care if it's you know a first round pick or a seventh round pick you got to make the picks count the staff has done a hell of a job um and it's a testament to the staff that you you're you're signing a sixth and the seventh round pick and then, and now we turn them over to our development staff. And one of the things that when we came here five years ago that we really invested in is development. And, you know, drafting is important. It's, it's critical. It's critical. Development is, is right there. I don't think it gets enough. It doesn't get enough um, attention that you, and development's not just phoning in and, and seeing how you're doing today. We've, we've invested greatly in our development staff. And, it's a it's a big group and it's it's so so the minute they're drafted and the minute they're signed first call that gets from me the second call is from you know our development team that takes everything from their nutrition to their strength and conditioning to skating coaches to 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 every step of the way and so it it doesn't really matter what round you're drafted in it's that next stage of development is critical and so i think our our and it and the proofs in the pudding that we've We've been able to develop some guys and, and get them to the NHL, regardless of whether first, second, sixth, seventh. So that's that's a testament to the scouting staff and the development team. So they've got um, three more here in the pipeline for them to work with.
Um, I think that's all the people we signed. Um, the um, a quick league update for you, and 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 I don't have a whole lot more for you than what you've probably read. I'd caution you. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there. There's probably a lot of misinformation. Uh, I can tell you from the league standpoint, we've gotten you know there's no there's no firm there's no firm um, you know. Uh, plan right now you know they, obviously there's lots of talk about different um, scenarios as I've said on the these calls and our on our check-ins number one is we're going to take our when I say we have talked from a league perspective we're going to take our cue from the health professionals so you know we're going to make sure it's safe um, we're all we're all excited and, and hopeful that at some point we can get back to playing here um, I think it's always encouraging and, and we saw it in our province yesterday with the announcement of some some reopening but again we we were we know where we fit in the overall landscape here right now and we want to make sure that you know more important things are, are dealt with and handled but at the appropriate time we're hopeful that we can get back and and we're planning as such i mean we we continue to you know i find the days are as much as you We've all been on this lockdown. The days are busy. The days are busy in terms of planning and preparing and and looking at all different scenarios. And we want to make sure that we're plan we're we're prepared. So we've we've probably hassled our staff more than they they think is is appropriate to make sure that we are prepared. Um, but in terms of here's what's going to happen, I don't have that for you. Um, but you know, as we've talked before, obviously we're we're. If we do get back to playing, it's, it's certainly looking like it's going to be a summer, summer venture. How that affects, you know, 2021 and the dates and the timelines, we'll, we'll wait and see. But um, I know our players are excited to try to get back and, and finish the, the season and beyond. Um, probably the last thing I just update you on is our draft preparation. We're hopeful to. You know, there was there was there was um, a lot of talk. We had a manager's call. Uh, a week ago, Tuesday, I think it was, uh, and there's been some talk, which I think is, I'm, I'm not revealing any state secrets here, but I think there's been some talk on a June draft. Um, again, no, there's been no firm direction or, or, or plans put in place for that. But from our standpoint, we're, we're going to be ready whenever the draft is going to be. And, and, and this weekend we have a, a big set of, of, of meetings planned that will go probably most of the weekend in terms of getting our our draft plans in order and finalizing lists and 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 slots and whatnot and uh and then we will conduct you know we've done i would say the majority of our interviews with prospects and background information is complete we're, we're gonna we will conduct you know, quote unquote, our our draft interview combine with our staff and and you know the top players that we need to as a group interview. We'll 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 conduct that here over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, but I I feel very comfortable where we are in terms of our preparation and the staff's done in terms of uh, in terms of draft planning. So that's sort of the update. We continue to, as I mentioned to you guys. Um, um, I think even from the onset of these calls is is you know we just continue to work those files whether it be draft 
whether it be you know restart relaunch and then um, and then 2021 so um, that's what's keeping us busy Brad, can I ask you how you feel about uh, the possibility of a, of a play-in round? And, and I'll frame it on, on the basis of this, that normally, you know, like if, if there are teams that have to play a preliminary round, it, it would be, you have the sense that the team that has a buy has an advantage. But I wonder after such a long layoff, if you wouldn't be unduly, you know, giving an advantage to the, the 7-10 winner and the 8-9 winner, because they would then have games under their belt already, playing against a team that, you know, has been sitting there idle for two and a half or three or four months. And so I, you know, like, I wonder, like people talk about, you know, trying to come up with a fair system to me, there's lots wrong with a play in round because it, it might give an advantage to, to the teams at the bottom rather than the teams at the top. But that's my take on it. What, what's your view of that as a possible option? Yeah, that's a good question. Especially when you've had a layoff like this, it's, it's almost, akin to the start of the season you know uh, and when you get your schedule at the start of the season where you where you where you tend to cringe is if you if you don't have a lot of games off the hop or if you even on a real on a real micro level you can look back a couple of years ago when we had the the bye week and there was the bye weeks weren't coordinated so you had some teams that took that five day seven day nine day bye week um and and they would come off the bye week and you'd play a team that was playing and if you looked at the the winning percentage for the teams that were playing versus the teams that are like it was extraordinary you just got you know you just got smacked around for the teams that so so to that point i think there would be an advantage for those teams that are active and playing when you're coming off a long layoff and like I said, there's there's two things, and, and and it's been talked a lot about how much time do you need. I think the players will get up to speed fairly quickly. It's not like they've been off for, you know, this idea of needing five weeks. Like, you don't need that long. Like, the, the players have stay, been staying active. Now, you, need, you do need some time on the ice and all the rest of it, but there's a there's a difference of being, you know, ready to play games and then being in in – you know that top form it's sort of like playing in november versus where you are in march right so the more the more active in terms of game situations and playing i think it's going to give anybody an advantage and i and again i just don't know i couldn't tell you eric exactly the playoff for i think there's been so many different formats playing along i think i think i think you need some sort of games you know so when we come back um you need some sort of games whether you know finish the regular season or a portion of the regular season before you get into just to, to ramp up the ramp up the engine a little bit before you get into actual playoff games. But, you know, for us, if you're sitting there and, and somebody's playing three or four games and you're sitting out watching that, I think there's an advantage for the team that's active. Brad, can I ask you about what your thoughts were when um, Jason Kenny announced that some um, businesses are going to be reopened and they're starting the kind of first phase of action here in Alberta. Um, what that could look like potentially for you guys, knowing that still 15 people, um, you know, no more gather or gatherings over 15 people aren't, aren't allowed. Yeah. Well, my initial, to be perfectly honest with you, Kristen, my initial thought, I kind of was scrolling through the information and, and I, and part of it, I saw, 
K through 12 schools open and I was jacked. I was like, I, I went right to my daughters. I'm like, you suckers are going back to school. You think you're off? But I guess that's wrong. I don't know if they are going back or not, but they think they are. Um, I, I, I guess my initial reaction, Kristen, was it's, it's, it's good news, right? Like you, 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 I think we all try to take whatever news is positive. To me, you're moving forward, right? It's always about moving forward. So to me, that's a step that things are starting. Now, I think we all have to be, and I think the message is loud and clear that this is a, a gradual approach. We're not out of the woods. We're, we all have to be cautious of how we operate. But I just take it as we're moving, you know, there's, there's signs that we're moving forward. And that's always what you want to do in life is you, you got to keep moving forward. And, uh, and so it's a positive. I don't, I haven't broken it down to be perfectly honest with you of how, you know, how all, like how it's all going to work. But, but certainly the biggest point for me is that, you know, when are they going to allow, you know, more, you know, how does that relate to us with more groups? And I'm not talking about fans in the building right now, but even, you know, organizing a training camp where you're going to have 30 some odd people, how does that work? So, you know, quite frankly, our planning has been, as much as we're, you know, we've got plans in place of how we'd run a camp, we've got plans how we would run it. If you're not necessarily just 30 guys, but maybe it's three groups of 10 or four groups of eight, or, you know, you have to, you have to break it down. Even when you get into this situation where you're opening up the facility for, you know, the players to access the facility sort of informally, there might be, there might be limitations on how, how that happens. So, We've had our guys going through, we've got plans A, B, C, D, E, F, and G of, you know, if it's limited to certain amount of people, we'll be able to act to it. Um, but I would say, generally speaking, I think it's positive versus if the, if the message was, you know, we're on lockdown here for, you know, more months, that's probably less positive, but we're, we're, we're turning a little bit to normal here. Hey, Brad, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, from, from the outside, it, it feels like you guys are having a lot more success in the draft in terms of turning those later round, your fifth, your sixth, your seventh rounders into guys that, you know, play in your system or, you know, find their way to the NHL. <laughs> like, from your perspective, are, are you guys, do you feel like you're doing anything differently than you were when you got here in terms of, you know, your drafting philosophy or once guys are drafted, your developmental philosophy? Well, I can't speak to what necessarily was done before I got here, and, and that's not my place. Um, everybody's got their own views. I think, you know, we've just, we've, you know, without, without again, it's not revealing state secrets, but without getting too deep in it, we, we put, put an emphasis on certain qualities of, that we think are important for, for players to uh, play in today's game. And skill is, is needs skill. I mean, and, and, so to me, when you look at skill, hockey sense, and com competitiveness, like I, it's hard to play in the game if you don't have an elite quality in one of them. And uh, so that's what we continue to to try to find. It's you need to have a real competitive spirit to be an NHL player. And so we we focus really on those three aspects. And um, you know, you can find players late in the draft, and I, I give the credit to the scouts. We've, we've got a criteria that we look for. Um, but, you know, thankfully, touch wood, we've been able to hit. Now, we'll see. 
there's, as I say to all these players, there's lots of guys sign contracts. Only 700 get to play in the league every year. So because you've signed one, that the work just begins. Um, but, you know, if you keep coming back, and, and to me, you have to have a really set criteria of what is important to you, and you stick to it. And, uh, and our guys have stuck to it, and we have a, a sort of a model of a player that we're looking for, but you need to, you need to be able to think. You, you need to be highly, highly competitive, um, and, and you need to have skill. And so those, those are areas that we really focus in on. Brad, if I could just follow up a touch on Wolf specifically as a late round pick. Let's say he's two and a half and everything, two, six foot two and a half, like the average goalie height, whatever it is. How different does the draft play out for him, just your general sense of the league, and how different would he look on your draft board in theory? Yeah, he's not sitting there, Ryan, it's in the seventh round if he's six foot two. And I think you always try to, like even in those, those later rounds, you're trying to find deficiencies that you can maybe exploit a little bit. Like there's, there's you know, in any business, there's market deficiencies that, that you, ha- you have your, your, in your mind what the, the, the player, you know, the perfect player is supposed to look like. Well, they're just, there aren't any. And sometimes in, in all walks of life, we we far away, we veer away from something because it doesn't look like we think it should. And I'll look at like so if you use Dustin Wolf an example, and we, and and I get it, like our league, and I'm not I'm no different. The the big goaltender, and you, you always look at why that's happened. So if you look at, I keep coming back. I joke about it every week, but I wa- keep watching all these old games. I was texting Kelly. I watched the '93 series there and it, and the game's different it's just totally different like it's it almost looks like a different sport right from rules and everything else but if you just look at the goaltender position look at some of those old games like there was traffic around the net but the game was different you look at it now it's like a mosh pit in front of the net and so you need you need the big goaltender to me is the, the, the position it's almost less it become a little bit less athletic now where they just stand and they sort of block and take up as much room. Um, we looked at Dustin at, at the time that we got to that pick and said, okay, again, what's the best, what's the best player on the board? And we felt his athleticism and his competitiveness were elite. They're elite qualities. And so when you're getting into the seventh round, you're not finding the perfect player, but you got to find an elite quality so I, you always step back. What's going to make him? A, what's going to get him to the league? And and it might not be a size. It might not. But it, he's got an elite quality. He's got two elite qualities: athleticism and competitiveness. And so those are the things that you fall back on. Now, if he's six foot two, and with the 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 characteristics he had, I think you're talking about a top two round pick in my mind. Um, so he's a little bit shorter. Again, we'll see how it all plays out. Puck seems to hit him so far. It's a big step up from the Western League to pro hockey. I think I think the kid, the kids can either make it or die trying. And those are the kind of guys you want to have. Brad, would uh, for Dustin Hockey IQ be number three in line, just his ability to read the game? Yeah, and it, it's a great point, Lou. I think I think when you're when you've got a deficiency in your game, whether it be size or skating. You need something else to you have to be a really good thinker right like there's a lot of people like like it's funny ryan o'reilly for years even going back to his draft year everybody everybody wondered whether he could skate well enough he's got an elite brain 
So you can you can play fast and do things fast if you think fast. Um, Dustin's the same way. He reads the play extremely well. You match that with really outstanding athleticism and 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 competitiveness. Um, and competitiveness to me is so important because not just competitiveness in a game, but competitiveness. Like we talked to them, you're trying to be one of 700, right? Like so, there's there's 700 kids that play in my community. Never mind. So you're trying to be one of 700 in the league. You got to have a competitiveness to try to get to that. It's not just even competitiveness in in, in an NHL game. You got you're going to be you're going to be dealing with so many obstacles to try to get you to a chance where you have a chance to compete in the league. I think that's just an I think that's just a must. Um, and and so I look at him and. And he's got a great he's got a great hockey brain, um, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, to Ryan's point, what's kept him from being a seventh round pick from everything we can look at? This much, like that's what's kept him from it. So if that's the determining factor, let's take a chance. Brad, um, with uh, places starting to relax a little bit, is it fair to say that? Um, this is where things get um, not complicated, but it's the nitty gritty. And I asked this because just before um, this conference call, it, um, Walt or the Kachucks were on the radio and they've, they've said that they're looking to rent ice uh, next week because things have been relaxed in St. Louis. What is the, in that sense, how careful do you uh, expect your players to be, and do you talk to them about that as well with things being relaxed around the world, I guess? Yeah, really good point, Jermaine. I think two things we've got, you know, we've got sort of mandates from the league in terms of, you know, things that we've got to follow as players and staff in terms of isolation. So we've got, we've got to make sure we're following that. And then as things get, what I'm sensing even the last 24 hours, at least in my house too, it's almost like Christmas, you know, Christmas day is coming. Like we've been cooped up so long. So now you hear a little bit of good news and everybody's like, okay, giddy up. Let's, let's get after it. And we're going to just have to pump the brakes a little bit. Right. And, and we got to be safe. I don't think, you know, from what everything I've read, like we, we're not, we're not, we're not to the finish line yet. So it's good. Things are moving in the right direction. And, and you're hopeful touch wood that that continues. Um, so we'll be smart. We've all we've all got to be smart, right? And um, and let the the smart people tell us what we're supposed to do here, and we'll continue to follow. That. Is Calgary one of was Calgary one of the potential cities the NHL was looking at? Do you know at all, Brad? As one of like the hub cities, yeah. um, not that I'm aware of, Jermaine. I I now I say that I don't know. Nobody asked me about it. Um, uh, could have it could have it could have been um, certainly above my pay grade, but I uh, I don't I haven't heard that. I will say that I haven't heard that. And again, I I I know that the hub city we'll call it the hub city plan is something that's been out there, and I think I think that's real. Um, until until you get direction, you know who knows what what the plan is going to be. So I I again we all we all are. We're anxious to get back, but let's let's wait till we get the full clear of what the plan's going to be and how it's going to be. You know, even even Peter was telling me this morning or earlier before we got on the call of 
of New York Times. I think it was a New York Times report of, um, you know, maybe we're going back to all of our cities and starting there. I think you're going to get lots of that reporting. I, I don't know. I don't know what the the, the eventual plan is going to be, but we're going to be ready for whatever it is. Brad, I know that uh, there, you, you talked about the draft already and, and your preparation, but is it, there, there seems to be reports that there's a lot of pushback about a June draft. What, what would change for you? What would be the, the big adjustments as a group you'd have to make if, if they were to have a draft before the, uh, the season restarts? You know what, Pat? I don't know if there's any adjustments we'd have to do, uh, quite frankly. Um, you know, we, 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 we would, um, you know, all the work is going to be the same. You know, I think, I think as far as just, we wouldn't have to pivot. Like we wouldn't have to say, oh, it's June. We got to do, we, we wouldn't have to do anything differently. I just think that the, the, it's just going to be a different draft um, because you've got, you know, it would be the first time. And again, you got to be open to everything. We're in a we're in a we're in a new world here. Um, things aren't going to be perfect, right? You can't. Where there's no perfect solution. But I think when you have it, it'd be the first time you have a draft. At least the first time I can remember a draft before your season is completed. So things like draft order um, are are that's a consideration. How does that get handled? Um, and then I think you see. You know, I've watched you now the two drafts. So you had the NFL draft, and I've spoken to a couple of NFL GMs and gotten a really good hit list of, of you know, things that they went through. It was really interesting to go through with them and, and get behind the scenes of what took place and, you know, what went what, for, for all those purposes. It went great. I don't know if anybody watched, but it was technically it went it went perfect. Um, it was long. I, the entertainment factor, maybe for those that aren't NFL fans, probably was a little long. But when you talk to the guys that are in the, you know, all the things that they had to do to, you know, sort of trick out their homes and and whatnot, and and the different devices they had, it was it was interesting. So I had some good conversations there. Um, then watched the CFL draft last night. Same sort of thing. So we, but the biggest difference to me that I see from those drafts, and I. I watched the NFL draft of you. There's not as much player movement, I think, in those drafts as there is in ours in terms of trades and transactions. Um, so that's a little bit different. You've got the situation with there's a lot of conditional picks. Um, a lot of our trading at the draft, if you go back and look at it, there might not be a, you know, I know you guys, we always build this this draft up and then there's no trades that happen and everybody's like, what are you guys doing? You guys not doing any work? You're not trading. Anymore. But trades, if you go back and really study it the last, and I have, I, and, and it's, it's a good exercise to go back. And if you really circle the, the deals that were really financially driven, right? Like financially driven deals. So you look back, the Marlowe deal last year, right? Um, the Subban deal. Like there's a lot of financial because you're now say third week of June, you have a, you may not have the exact cap number, but we're pretty, we pretty much know within a, you know, a nine iron of what the cap is going to be. And so guys are adjusting their rosters, you know, trade wise to accommodate the financial picture of the league. That, that might be a challenge for us, right? When you get to a job. So it's probably a long-winded answer, Pat. I don't think we'll be prepared for it. There won't be any pivots we'll have to do. 
but it's a different landscape of a of a draft taking place and then a season still to conclude versus having a draft in the quote-unquote offseason. Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. I'm not going to lie. It has been far too long since I've heard our next guest voice. Uh, we are going to uh, talk about the 2020 CFL draft in just a second, but I, I just want to hear Matty Rose's voice, those sweet, dulcet tones, that sarcastic sense of humor, that uh, perfect smile. Hi, Matty, what's going on? Boys, it's so good to hear your voices and just get to talk sports. I've been so excited all day about this. Let's go. Man, it smells like uh, legal products that the government now endorses all of a sudden on these airwaves. Welcome aboard, Maddie. How are you? Friday, huh? Uh, yeah, Friday. You also forgot to mention that it's payday. So, uh... Oh, mama. And they're letting us out. Did you hear? Kind of, yeah. Here. Yeah, I was. So, yesterday was a giddy day for me. I was like, ah, yes, I see some light at the end of the tunnel. It was a happy day. You have no idea. I just finished moving amidst all of this nonsense, and we oh, finally yes. got all of our boxes unpacked and all of our stuff, and it's set up, and I'm just like, this is probably going to be the best weekend of 2020. Granted, the bar is set pretty low, but this is going to be a good one. There <laughs> sure is. It's true. The bar has been set uh, very low. What uh, y- You are our Stampeders insider, and we will tap you in on that in just a second, but mm. what... Uh, Tell us about uh, quarantine, Matt. Yes. Um, well, you know, I still get to go into the studio uh, because I do the Jack Morning Show now with uh, Matt and Sarah, and we're still working out of the studio. So still getting up at the crack of dawn and doing that whole bit. Apart from that, I have been staying home, not doing a whole lot, except for playing way too much NHL 20 to get my sports fix. Um, yeah. Pretty much that's it. I, don't, I watched all of Breaking Bad again. And Mad Whoa. Men. Nice. You watch all of Mad hey. Men again, too. How is Mad Men a second time I, I through? I missed four and a half seasons of Mad Men. I'm, I'm working through the last couple right now. Um, but that was one of the shows that I watched, like, the first season twice or three times, and I never really got into it. And then I finally got through the second season, and then I was hooked. So that was uh, keeping me busy until we had to put our lives into boxes. Tell me about uh, your NHL 20. Are you doing like the you're the team sort of custom mode? Like, are you are you taking the the Seattle Totems to the Stanley Cup final here for the second year in a row, or what? Well, I was uh, I was without Xbox Live for a bit, so I went hard on the franchise mode, and yeah. I got my club all the way to like 2027, 20, 28, with players Ooh. that are completely fabricated all over the NHL. <laughs> So that's always a fun time. And then eventually got Xbox Live and started playing a bunch of NHL 20 uh, with my buds with the EA Sports Hockey League, playing three-on-three and six-on-six. And uh, that's been going well. Uh, since they got me on the team, things have been uh, turning around. So, yeah, keeping busy. I, uh, yeah, very I love the uh, the NHL, like the three-on-three that they did. That's all I play now on, on NHL 20. I just That three-on-three three is so much fun. Oh, and the small rink is chaos, but I like the big rink too. But uh, yeah, we're we're staying busy, you know. That's good. That's good. Well, the uh, Calgary Stampeders finished off 
their uh, 2020 draft, as did the rest of the league yesterday. Mm. Let's uh, let's get into it with our uh, Stampeders insider, Matty Rose, um, and and start with the fact that, you know, there was some talk about are the Stampeders going to use their number one overall pick or are they going to move down? Well, they moved down. They go from one to three, but uh, they still got their guy. Hey, Matty? They really did. Um, General Manager John Huffnagel was speaking to us after – the draft was completely wrapped up, did a little video conference call, and he was saying even if they had kept that first overall pick, uh, Adeyemi Bergman was going to be their guy, despite lots of talk about Jordan Williams and the Stampeders' success when they had Alex Singleton as a national middle linebacker. Um, but Williams wasn't his guy. And everyone was saying, you know, this guy's a ratio breaker. But I really think that if you can get a defensive end position, uh, especially bringing in McGuff in the offseason as well, if you could perhaps do a little bit more work as a national on that defensive line, gives them a little bit of flexibility to maybe move things around. So I think that Adiemi Bergman can be just as much of a ratio breaker as maybe Jordan Williams could be. Uh, I like the national aspect. Like I mentioned, the ratio flex on the defensive line is going to be nice because they have those two plus Wigan. You have Vincent Desjardins. They also drafted another defensive tackle a little bit later on. Listen to uh, Adiemi Bergland's chat with you guys. I'm about 10 minutes into it, so no spoilers. But he also spoke to us yesterday. Uh, he said he was pretty damn good at rushing the quarterback. That was kind of his quote. So, um, you know, he's confident from just hearing the interview he did with you guys. You could tell he's very educated. This is a guy who's going to practice medicine, that type of thing. That, that's the future that he wants to have. He's extremely well-spoken. He speaks two languages. This guy just seems to check a lot of boxes that the Stampeders really seem to covet. And the fact that he's a very athletic quarter or uh, defensive end and loves to get after the quarterback, this guy was uh, their player. And that they could get him at three allowed them to move up a little bit further in the second round and grab a receiver, which they needed because Jawan Breskison has left. Um, and maybe they could have got the receiver at 15, but in the end, it all worked out for the Calgary Stampeders. They were able to move up in round two and get another need addressed as well. I'm always fascinated about contracts and, you know, status of players and salary caps and the mm-hmm. CFL for whatever reason has let all of that sit behind closed doors. And you really have to be well connected to sort of get a sense of what things are going on back there. But I do recall, I think it was the Riders and Chris Jones a few years ago, not being able to come to terms with the first overall pick of the draft. How different does a contract look for someone going three versus one? Do we know? And do you think that weighed in in the decision to trade down? Someone tweeted that to me yesterday if they thought that this might be a money thing as well. Um, and, it, like, in the in the NFL, the draft spot means a lot as far as the money goes. Um, like you said, a lot of this money stuff is kind of behind closed doors. Will Stans probably save money because he ends up being the third overall pick compared to the first overall pick? In the long run, yeah, that'll probably save him some money. But if they end up having to re-sign this guy – a couple of years after his entry-level deal, then, you know, if, especially if he has some success, which I think he really could have here in Calgary, then, you know, you're still looking at a, at a pretty sizable payday. And where the money goes is going to be kind of up in the air, I guess. Matty Rose is with us, our uh, Calgary Stampeders insider, as the CFL draft comes to an end. Next up, uh, the Stamps go receiver. Next two picks, they go receiver, and they end up with three receivers when it's all said and done. Why uh, Why so heavy at the receiver spot? Well, like I mentioned, Juwan Breskison left in the offseason, and he was having an incredible season before he had a pretty serious knee injury. He's now with the Toronto Argonauts, and 
I would expect him to have a pretty good year uh, with that group. They're kind of putting together out in Toronto. But after he left, they had four Canadian national receivers. You have Herjie Maiello, last year's first-round pick, who really started to shine in the second half of the season. And I'd probably pencil him in to be a, a starter at the national this season. And then you also have Richardson Danny, who's kind of the veteran of the group, who's been here for a few years now. You also have Mike Lucas and Colton Hunchak, and both of them showed in flashes last year as well. And uh, Huffnagel said when he was speaking to us, that spot, they were going to take a receiver. It didn't really matter who was there. They ended up taking Travell Pinto. Um, he probably would have been there at 15. He was a guy who had been projected to maybe go in the fourth round. He's a guy who had to have his draft year deferred because uh, he missed 2019 due to a failed drug test after one of his games. So uh, this is a guy who has a lot of talent when he's playing for UBC. If you, t- if you listen to his interviews, he can burn guys down the field. He'll do the jet sweep. He'll do whatever. If you give him a little bit of space, he'll make a play. And the Stamps saw that. They saw the raw talent. They've spoken with him. They believe that that is behind him, the past stuff, and that they've got a really talented player here. So they decided to take that receiver at 12. And then at 21, uh, they get Rice and John. This guy is a really interesting player uh, from Simon Fraser University. He's 6'7 and 220 pounds. This is a player that, when available to the Stampeders at 21, general manager John Huffman will say there just wasn't really another option Guys like this don't come around. The reason he was still available is because after the NFL draft, he did sign with the New York Giants, who figured they'll probably end up using him as a tight end. But the Stampeders now have its rights if things don't end up working out in the NFL for the 6-7 Rice and John. Um, the free agent sign in for him. So uh, he's not guaranteed as well, obviously. Yeah. I had a little bit of depth uh, by bringing in uh, the other receiver, uh, middlemost, 6'1", 180 pounds. This is the guy that when we asked about him, John Updingle said, special teams, this is the guy who stood out there. So you add another receiver who is for sure going to be in camp. So six national receivers right now when you look at the roster uh, with that kind of asterisk, Bryce and John there as well. So you take a look at, at you know, who they've picked. Who, who jumps out at you as a potential starter here, as a potential impact guy in the not-so-distant future? I'm Yumi Berglund, for sure. And like I mentioned earlier, him and McGuff kind of make an interesting tandem. Uh, McGuff is a defensive end as well. They could be maybe a rotation piece. McGuff coming in oh, uh, as a free agent. Travell Pinto is another guy that, depending on how they set the ratio on the offense, could see him as well being a, a factor when we get to camp. The other guy would be Rison, but obviously there's the asterisk there. The other players, John Hoffnagel mentioned, maybe a couple of years until we see them as a starter, um, but you would expect most of them to compete for a job in camp. With Matty Rose, our Stampeders insider, following uh, last night's CFL draft, only one O-lineman uh, the Stampeders end up taking. How shocking was that? Well, it, it, it was kind of shocking. Um, when they got Sean McEwen from Toronto in free agency, that, that really shored up the offensive line and gave him some real serious Canadian depth. You got McEwen, who plays the center position, Bergman and Erdos at the guard positions. Kind of how you pencil it in right now is three really sturdy vets, but I wouldn't count out Ryan Sevier or Justin Lawrence, two younger players who also play that interior of the line and got quite a bit of time yesterday. Obviously, Brad Erdos, the veteran, missed the entire season. Shane Bergman missed a little bit of time here and there as well. Zach Brown and, uh, or pardon me, David Brown and Zach Williams, 
another couple of young offensive linemen that the Stampeders drafted a few years ago that played in spots uh, this past season, and they could take a step forward too. So they've got some depth on the offensive line. They did draft uh, John Zamura. Uh, that was a player who Huffnagel did say was a couple of years away. But they did add at least one offensive line, which is uh, not really a much surprise. Zamura uh, played the center and guard position. So another guy who could probably play on the interior. You look at the outside right now, um, they've got some options, especially with some American players. Yukamari Williams, Penciling to probably be a starting tackle. would be pretty surprised if he doesn't end up with one of those positions. And then Neela Cassitati and Leon Johnson would be a couple other players that uh, would be interesting to see how that, they battle for positions on the offensive line when camp breaks. Now, we know that Rob Maver, who was so good at his craft as this team's punter over the last little while, has has now officially retired. So Maver has retired, but have the Stamps found his uh, his successor? Well, they believe so. They got uh, His name's Kieran Burnham, a player who can kick. He can punt as well, but they see him more as a punter. Uh, obviously, with Renee Parrott, is still very much in the fold. Um, but Hobbs did mention this is a player who can take a little bit of weight off of Parrott, especially in training camp when the kickers can get a little bit sore. 6-2, a buck 75. They took him 61st overall. He was the third kicker off of the board. Good directional punter. Uh, he was a uh, pretty good punter at St. Francis Xavier. 2019 All-Star, perhaps. The next coffin corner specialist for the Stampeders. Sure. Now that Rob Maver uh, has retired and, and moved on to other things. And tell us about the uh, the the rest of the draft class. Some uh, interesting notes. You've got some. Uh, you've got a little bit on on everybody. What else jumps off the page for the rest of this draft class, Maddie? Well, there was a linebacker, Curtis Gray, fourth round, thirty first overall uh, player drafted out of Waterloo. Named a U Sports first team specials all star, six three, two hundred pounds. Uh, an athletic player. Further down the draft, we've heard uh, John Huffnagel talk about leaning on Mark Killam and, and, and the special teams coordinator, now the assistant head coach with the Stampeders, too, as far as those players later down the draft who might be able to help out on special teams in the short term, maybe before they're ready for a starting role on the offense or defense. And this is a guy who, as I mentioned, a first-team specials all-star, kind of fits that mold, 6'3", 200 pounds, and is athletic. The next guy they took, uh, Andrew Sinet-Spalling, less special teams for him. He's a defensive tackle standing six foot and almost 300 pounds. Um, but the one word that Huff used was disruptive. He was also a 2019 U Sports uh, most outstanding lineman when he was playing at McGill in 2019. And then in the final round, the eighth round, they took Michael uh, Acidwell, eighth round, 70th overall. Uh, he's got two years of eligibility left at Concordia. He's a defensive back, so he'll be here at camp, but Similar to what happened with uh, Colton Hunchak last year, he was here at camp, and then he went back to school because he still has some eligibility. So that's most likely what we'll see happen with uh, the, the young defensive back. But, uh, yeah, eight picks for the Stampeders in eight rounds. All in all, you got to look at it and say they addressed the needs uh, and probably uh, like the haul that they got. Probably got a lot of the guys they actually wanted to grab in this draft. Good stuff, Matty. I think uh, the most important question of all, though, as we wrap up, is uh, oh. what what is on Matty Rose's quarantine weekend? This is what weekend number seven of the quarantine. So what what uh, what is on your uh, what's on your docket for this weekend? Well, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of craft beer in this town. Oh. Um, so me and one of my buddies Settle for down, the past. Brother. 
five weeks have been um, surprising each other with beers from craft breweries. So tomorrow oh. I'm expecting a surprise from a, uh, a brewery. We've hit Zero Issue. We've hit Trump Five. We've hit uh, Cabin. And there's another one that I can't remember. But it's been good so far. And uh, looking forward to digging into some more lovely craft beer made here in Calgary. Matt, this one's for you. Oh, stop. Mine's almost done. I got to go to the fridge. <laughs> What'd you crack there, Pinder? I've got a journeyman IPA from Common Crown. Ah, the Common Crown. Big fan. Let's see what else do we have in here. Um, the Nemesis from Zero Issue. Actually, probably my favorite beer in town. All right. There we go, boys. Have That's a great weekend. Local Matty, enjoy weekend. yourself. Love you, buddy. Be well. It's good to hear from you, lads. It's Matty Rose. Uh, he uh, wrapping up the CFL draft with us for the Calgary Stampeders on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. All right, Mr. Pinder, uh, parting is such sweet sorrow. In uh, Enjoy your time on the morning show. If you're just joining us, Pinder is moving to mornings for the rest of the pandemic. As soon as we're out of this damn uh, thing, we'll he'll be back with us on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, don't so say in- pandemic. <laughs> please don't What's say that. that. <laughs> don't say the pandemic. Please, no, no. Wow. Okay. That's for the next little cold. while. Yeah. Until we, uh, until we get back to a little bit more like normal, you're on morning. Oh, I feel like uh, the littlest hobo song would be a little more upbeat. Only tomorrow, but uh, fair enough. Yeah, I'm gonna miss you. Four a.m. Make sure that the uh, your mic's crackling again. Make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, also, uh, make sure the boys on the morning show go easy on me. Um, and we will uh, see you back here on the show with your name on it in the very near future. Good weekend, boys. Have a good one. Be safe. Bye, Rye. Uh, Peter Klein joins Pinder and Steinberg next week, so the afternoons will be Pinder and Steinberg with Steinberg and then with Logo and Klein. Mornings, Boomer in the morning will be Boomer, Pinder, and Will Nault for the next month or two uh, before we go back to normal. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Uh, enjoy yourself and be safe. We'll talk to you Monday. It's been Pinder and Steinberg in conversation with Ron McClain coming up next. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.